Hello, anybody and everybody. My name is Cody Wilkinson, and welcome to episode 3 of CodyCast 101. If you haven't seen episode 2, do me a favor and give it a listen. It's great to catch up with my old college roommate and experience the wilderness his state had to offer. Today, I had the chance to sit down with someone who's been through a lot in the last few years. I'll let her tell her story, but all you need to know is that she is unlike anyone I've ever met, and I'm so glad I had the chance to get to know her. So, without further ado, please welcome my friend, Maria Colleen Haley. Welcome to episode four of CodyCast 101. <laughs> um, today I'm here in the Garfield Art House with uh, my good friend Colleen. Uh, say a little something about yourself, Colleen. Hi, uh, my name is Mary Colleen Halley. Um, I'm a traveler, um, a vagabond, a lover of earth and life. Um, multifaceted artist and healing artist just trying to figure out how to survive in the world how to thrive in the world aren't we all mm-hmm. aren't we all so um when we first sat down here i mean i'm in a room right now and i'm just looking at all the knickknacks that she's got from her travels and there are a pair of earrings that are just wooden shark teeth i think these are shark teeth they look like the shark teeth or you know leaves maybe i don't know but yeah i guess they could that's what I saw. Okay, I saw shark teeth in them. Shark teeth, yeah. So you said there's a story behind these. What What's the story behind these? Well, to tell cool. you the story behind those, I have to go back a little further. Okay. First of all, I want to say that I've always bought earrings from wherever I go. And I've been... It's just your thing that you collect. I just really love yeah. earrings. I, I love handmade jewelry that's from around the world. Um, but I have this knack for always losing one of them. So most of my favorite pairs of earrings that have either been gifts or things that I've found in my travels, I've always lost one of them. And recently I've been wearing two separate earrings, but I'm kind of a symmetrical person, so um, it was weird for me to have two opposite earrings. It's imbalanced. Like your head leans mm-hmm. one way more. Yeah, I've never had earrings before, but... So even... And I also... It's the one accessory that I for a long time was only wearing or I had to make sure that I was wearing. I actually felt really naked without yeah. earrings. Um, okay. And so the story behind those pair of earrings was <clears throat> I had spent maybe like a couple of years um, traveling and I would call it a dark night of the soul. It was a really it was such a confusing time and I've been through confusing times I've been through depression like yeah like it was not any of that this was like total deconstruction of what I thought I was into what I'm becoming now which is still unfolding in a mystery so I was kind of going around I also felt like I had been attacked by some sort of dark energy that was like what I was experiencing I could feel it in my body something felt wrong something felt off And it started when I was working at a retreat center in upstate New York. Okay. When was this? That that was, I started working there in the summer of 2017, and then I took like a journey that winter, which is another story, and then I went back again in 2018. Um, So this was after I had finished two seasons there, um, and it's a very spiritual center, like it's a very, uh, a retreat situation. It's a retreat center center and it's one of like the most well-known retreat centers. Like, um, 
all sorts of people come through there. Yeah. Um, Pema Children is a big name. Eckhart Tolle comes through there. Um, Bobby McFerrin. And it was, it was culture shock for me coming from New Orleans and also to meet all these people that were like pretty far out who like said, you know, they could see the 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 earth spirits that were hanging out in the garden and like we were like talking to them and like offering them um, offerings you know it's like if you want to be able to see them you have to offer them something it's so there was just and there's like galactic stuff people talking to aliens I mean it was and sometimes evolution or enlightenment is not always like this light fluffy beautiful thing it comes with a lot of you're also welcoming in darkness and so yeah. I just happened to be one of the people who connected really deeply with the dark part. And, okay. Um, not like I wanted to. It was just... Just what happened. It's what happened. Yeah. And, like, I blame myself a lot for that, for, like, the decisions that I made or the fact that I was smoking weed or, you know, because I'm a very sensitive person, so it opened me up a lot. Yeah. So when I left the second time, I was kind of in this desperation to figure out what the fuck was going on with me. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course what, you are. What the fuck, fuck was yeah. going on with me? Like... And I had this journey of going from New York to Pittsburgh, to my parents' house, to back to New York to help my ex-best friend's wedding, um, trying to live in New Jersey, trying to live in Brooklyn, ending up spending a week in a homeless shelter in Brooklyn just because my friend was trying to get me services because everybody thought that I was just going mentally insane. They were like, you're going psychotic. And I'm like, no, I'm completely lucid about what's happening. Like, I'm aware yeah. that something's off. Like, I'm aware of it. Okay. It's not like I'm not in control, but it was bigger than anything that I, energetically bigger than anything that I had ever dealt with before. Yeah. What do you think was that darkness that you felt? I think that my channels probably just, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I My thought is that my channels just opened up in a way that allowed what, some of the shamans that I worked with said were like entities, like you attract entities and you attract entities in different ways. Um, sexual experiences can attract entities, like stuff like that. I would, yeah. I would so you can, and sometimes you can like have these things in your system for a really long time and not realize it. That's, that's something that I think everybody deals with. And I've, I mean, of course I've had like, as everybody, those demons that those dark, aspects of your psyche that you just push down you suppress mm -hmm. and i think america's culture really focuses on suppressing that darkness and don't let anybody see it don't show anybody else and if you do then all of a sudden you're viewed as weaker or you're viewed as someone who's not in touch with reality or they're not like you're actually more in touch with reality yeah, yeah. Um, and it's you know it's usually the people that are open to things like that that kind of do go crazy like schizophrenics I have a completely different view based on a shamanic view point of what schizophrenia is you know like interesting and so our our evolution has not caught up with our technology and one thousand percent not nor has it caught up with our capability as humans yeah so I opened up to something sensitively, like sen sensory-wise. I wasn't seeing things necessarily, maybe sometimes, but I opened up to something that I had never opened up to before. And it it really wore on me in a way, because I was running away from it for a long time. And I think also what it does, you know, like in Harry Potter, the what is it called, the Bogart or whatever, it shows you your worst fear so that you can face it. So yeah. that when you actually see your worst fear, you won't be as afraid of it because you've practiced mm -hmm. facing it. Yeah. 
So I do think that some of that was practice or what I had gone through before was practice for what I was experiencing at that time because it was a lot of work to stay connected to the light, to like love myself. I mean, I went into such deep self-questioning, self-hate, like every concept of what I believed and it was happening for two years. So it yeah. was like a breakdown over two I'm, years. I'm, I feel like I'm in the beginning stages of some of that right now. Because I think a lot of people are because of where we are in the yeah, world right now. Yeah, I'm just this pandemic gave everyone a chance to stop with their with the obsessive culture of working mm-hmm. in America and like, all right, you can't work. Well, now what are you gonna do? Well, literally, there's nothing that I can like. Some people, you know, like my job is halted. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. I'm financially stable. I'm all I'm safe with everyone in my family. We can isolate safely. Like those, are, it's that is a big popular like a big demographic demographic of the country and those all those people started to reflect on themselves and started to reflect on the state of the country and this, uh and just everything else around them that they don't really focus on when they're working because they have that distraction and that to me is the biggest reason why all these riots are exploding now is because everyone took a chance to pause and reflect and like look we have all these like this the whole talk with the riots is the systemic racism that exists in this country mm. and for so long we just lived with it we didn't really talk about it that much we didn't really acknowledge it but we well, knew the white, it was there. the white community didn't yeah exactly and um, it's and i especially can relate to that because and i've talked about this before growing up in wyoming the black population there's two kids on my black on my football team they were black yeah. and they're they like they were just normal kids like I didn't really expect anything different from them I didn't I knew that they were black but like it wasn't I mean to me and to my like to the kids in my high school like they, they were just normal kids and then you go into these other like coming into the east coast and seeing a much larger demographic and then all of a sudden these issues are present because there's more of those uh, minority groups that they can rally behind each other and they can speak out for the injustices that they feel when those like those injustices I feel like didn't even exist back home because it wasn't a problem like it wasn't it wasn't an issue well this is uh, what you're talking about now is is pretty much part of this great awakening right and so yeah the that's a good way to put it we're and I think what's important to remember and, and this kind of ties back into the story because this is an interesting story about these yeah, about these earrings, earrings. It, it has to tie to like I mean it does it ties to dreams There's and so many magic and um so I think one thing we have to remember is that what's happening now is also happening on a bigger plane something that we can't even see right so there's like there's energetic shifts going on on the planet. There's so much happening globally, galactically, that the chaos and intensity that's happening now is kind of, it's being stirred up because everything is about to change. And you mm-hmm. need breakdown before, you need to break down all old systems before you can create a new. So the past two and a half years for me was a breakdown of my old system. A system that I thought, like, you know, I had, I, it was an still an ego controlled system you know there was still certain things but I had done a lot of work like I had done a lot of work I knew that I was a co-creator in the universe like I knew that my experiences meant something that somehow everything that happened in my life fit into a puzzle or a web that 
I couldn't exactly see or I couldn't see how all the pieces fit together, but that it did. And for a while, I had zoomed out enough in my life to see all of the pieces in my past and how they fit together. And what the process of the past two and a half years, which I'll call the dark night of the soul, which I'll call like a psychotic awakening break, whatever you want to call it, you know, say, it, it helps me to zoom out even more. And I'm still zooming out to see a greater picture because we are all piece of whole, like we're all a piece of a whole. We're mm-hmm. all whole, right? Yeah. So I was going through all this prior to all of this other stuff happening because now people are ha- asking all the same questions and I'm like, oh, yeah, I started asking, like my friends and I like started asking these questions like years and years and years ago, but are also going through the internal transformation of breaking down all internal bullshit. Like you see yourself and you're like, oh, these are the things that I have to change. These are the things that have to break down. And because I'm so stubborn, it had to be a challenging, difficult process. Yeah. So one of the things that I did, because I didn't know what I was doing, I couldn't work. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to live. I was living at my parents' house, hiding under my covers. Like, I mean, it was, it was intense. And my friend who's practices shamanic healing, okay. he does a lot of journeying and drumming and stuff. He invited me up to his house just to spend some time to get away from my parents' house and just to like talk. And so I go up there and it's in upstate New York and it's cold and it's dark. And there's like, you know, you have to drive everywhere. It's like, and I, you know, I didn't drive, I took the train, so I couldn't go anywhere, you yeah. know? And I didn't really have any money to go anywhere. Um, I had a little bit of money and I don't remember where I got, oh, and that at all, I didn't have earrings. So, and the reason why I say that is because it's like when you put yourself together in a morning and you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm beautiful, I'm a goddess, I love myself, like, earrings were part of my package. Yeah. You know, it was like the part way Part of your that, identity. Well, and just a way that I loved myself. A way yeah. to be like, I'm going to decorate you, this being, this, this being, um, in such a way that... I love you and I had lost a lot of my favorite earrings so I was only down to like one favorite pair which I lost um, that old favorite pair prior to getting these wooden ones and um, I had $20 I don't remember where the $20 came from it might have come in the mail like my mom might have sent it to me because um, at this point my relationships had started breaking down yeah my with my ex best friend she asked me not to be in her wedding because we had had a falling out and You know, it was like, it was really hard for me to show up for her, but I was doing everything that I could to show up for her during her time. But we were just going in opposite directions. So my mom sent me flowers, and I think she sent me some money. I don't remember. But I just decided that I was going to take the $20 and, like, do something good for myself. Do something nice for myself. Yeah. I was in this tiny town. It was like, like, one stop, like, kind of town. Well, I'm very familiar with those. Yeah, Yeah. in the middle of, like, rural New York. And I go to this, like, gift shop. And she's got, like, all sorts of stuff. She's got incense and, like, spiritual books. And I walk in, and I don't remember this woman's name, but she was really intense. She was really intense. And she was really sweet, too. It was, like, in the middle of wintertime in in New York, you know, people are like, oh, my God, a human. And you're an awake (laughs) human, you know? Um... And so she was really talkative with me, and so I looked all through the store, and I was just walking around, and I was like, I, I think I picked up some Palo Santo, or maybe some incense, just something to love myself, but I was looking for earrings. I was like, I need a pair of earrings, and none of the earrings that I liked 
they weren't anything that I liked, nor were the ones that I did like have, they weren't, they were just too expensive. So, um, I go, I go to check out and she's like, did you find everything that you needed? And I said, no, actually I was looking for a pair of earrings, but I don't really like anything that I found. And so I'm just going to get this Palo Santo. And she goes, hold on a second. And she goes like behind the counter and she's like, do you like these? And they were those ones. They were these wooden, like three colored, like three different wooden colored earrings that were in the shape of a, a tooth, I guess you could say. Um, they're beautiful, they're elegant, they're fierce. And she's like, I can't sell them because there's a hole in the bottom. See? Oh. She's like, I can't sell them, but you can have them. Wow. And I was like, three earrings. I was like, oh my gosh. So I had come in looking for earrings, leaving, like, like literally releasing the idea that I would ever find them. And she gives them to me and then she like takes me and I think we go get coffee and then she takes me home and she's just da -da 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 -da. and I had really been antisocial for like, I mean, now it's been like two and a half years, yeah. but so to meet somebody who was just super talkative and telling me about their lives was really fun. Um, and I walked, yeah, I stayed there and I told my friend about the story and I was really excited and yeah. So <clears throat> I had these earrings and I was like, oh, I feel elegant again. That's the first part of the story. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. That's just a realization of like, you can manifest things that you want. Yeah. And like when, especially when you surrender to them and you're able to receive, when you let go of it. That's what I was just about to Somehow mention. it comes even better than you oh, thought. So much better. Yeah. When you, <laughs> when you release the idea of something that you wanted for so long or like however long, you know, whatever the circumstances and then you get it mm -hmm. without realizing it, without trying, then you realize like. You don't need to try so hard for certain things. You don't need to hold so much weight onto them because, I don't know, if they come, they come. If they don't, they don't. But you got some free earrings now. Well, that so, was what I wanted. And it yeah. was like, you know, I, I'm doing this research, not research, but just connecting with my feminine again, which is a, a surrender. You know, it's a surrender to things. So fast forward, I decide to leave my friend's house after... And he's an older gentleman, and he's, um, like I said, he practices shamanic stuff. And he was teaching me about plants, and I was making my own medicine with the plants, um, which is really a fun project to do. Um, wild crafting and making tinctures with 80 proof alcohol. <laughs> um, and I was really grateful for him. But I decided that I needed to move along. And I went back to New York City and I stayed in New York City for a couple weeks thinking that I was going to live there. Crazy me, I, that was really ridiculous. Um, and in the, in the time that I was staying in New York City, I got an email from this yoga studio in Medellin that I had applied for like months ago. And what it was, it was on a yoga trade website. And I had applied to be like the, because I didn't know what I was doing at this point. I was like, whatever opens up is where yeah. I'm supposed to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had applied to be the volunteer teacher slash manager of the yoga studio and then be able to live there. And it was like a three month internship or four month internship. And I had applied and I got an email back like a couple months later, you know, we're interested in interviewing you. And I was like, whoa. And not only did I get this offer, I was also having a yoga place in Costa Rica giving me an Ooh. offer to come and be a nanny um, for a yoga studio in, um, not a studio, but like a retreat center in Costa Rica. So 
what was interesting to me in this phase of my journey is that I was consistently being presented with choices. Consistently, consistently, consistently yeah. being presented with choices. And like, it's not that there's a wrong choice. It's just that there are choices that we make, right? So I was really thinking about it. And I went back later and thought like, maybe I should have chosen Costa Rica, but I chose Medellin. Where is that? In Colombia. Okay. Yeah. It's oh, like okay. the big, okay. I mean, it was a former drug city, like the capital of cocaine. Yeah. I, um, I recognize it, but I couldn't remember. Um, yeah. So, was, so, and those kind of things never scared me. I mean, I spent eight years in New Orleans after Katrina. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that, that place was pretty wild for yeah a good, good amount of time. Definitely. So, so I, um, the other crazy thing was, the other crazy synchronistic thing was, um, um, the other crazy synchronistic thing was that, uh, wait, just cut this out a second. <laughs> you're good, you're good. When, when I get distracted, it, like, I lose my train of thought, so I just have That's to, fine. like, stay present. That's fine. Um, um, you're talking about Medellin and yeah, going so there. Yeah, so I was staying Rica. in Brooklyn with some friends. Like I said, I was going to try to live there, and I get this opportunity, and I'm like, should I go, should I not go? And it just so happened that the girl, one of the, the women, not girl, the women that I was living with, um, her father had just started an English language school in Medellin. And I was like, okay, so, and she's like, yeah, you should email him. He'd probably hire you. And so I was like, all right. So I have, you know, and eventually I got hired and like, um, so I had two opportunities come to me from a place in Medellin, and I had always wanted to go back to Colombia. Yeah. I had gone in 2015 with an ex, and I was like, it's a beautiful country. So I was like, I guess I'm going to Colombia. I had two months. I packed up all my stuff from New York, and I went back to Pittsburgh with my parents and just prepared. And I would do like online meetings, whatever, with my, my the group that I was going to work for. And... I show up, this was a year ago, in 2019, at the end of April, and I had packed my whole life, because I thought, not my whole life, but like, my whole life in like two suitcases, my art supplies, and my ukulele, and I had my earrings with me. I had, had taken my favorite pairs of earrings, there were like three different pairs yeah. that I rotated between, and I show up in Medellin, and I'm living at the yoga studio, and it just so happened that the place that I'm supposed to work is like an hour and a half by public transportation on the other side of the city. So it was like off to a start of this is gonna be a challenge. Um, and n needless to say, nothing happened the way that I expected it to. Nothing happened the way that I expected it to. Yeah. I ended up not staying, because I was gonna commit to eight months, I was gonna get a, um, uh, to the school, the, the language, it wasn't a school, it was like a language thing for adults. It was teaching like adults in tech how to speak English. Um, and then do the yoga thing for three months. And it was all too much. It was like between learning the language in a new city and two yeah. new jobs. It was intense. So after three months, I ended up deciding that I was like, you know what? My, I didn't get approved for a, a, a visa. Because the company that was applying for me was too small. That and, sucks. Yeah. And then um, I was like, you know what? If I don't have to stay in Medellin, um, then I don't think I will. Because there's so many other more, like, yeah, calm, I mean, in, beautiful places. Especially in, in a country like Colombia. I mean, I would want to be on the edge of the forest. Yeah, well, that's where I went. That's, so, so that's what I really wanted to ask you about. Was, yeah. 
your time in the forest. So, that's well, that's where we're going now. Perfect. So <laughs> I, I went there and, you know, at this point, I'm still processing everything that had happened. Not only that it happened before coming to Colombia, like I said, all that dark night stuff. But my dreams started getting really intense when I got to Colombia. Dreams. My dreams started getting insane. Interesting. Like, and supposedly, like, when you're awakening, particularly if you're, like, having an, a shamanic initiation, is what they say, yeah. that, you know, you're, you start to have prophetic dreams, you start to have, like, you know, you, you astral project, which actually happened once. Lucid um, dreaming? Or? Lucid dreaming. Well, yeah, that's, like, a first step. Um, is astral projecting when you, like have an out-of-body experience in your dream and you move around like the real world yeah kind of like your soul leaves your it kind of like your soul leaves your body and supposedly you like and it walk around the ghost world i don't even know if it's a ghost world sometimes they go places like you can actually send your consciousness to other places that would be crazy my dreams were really kind of nightmares at this point Yeesh. um i was having nightmares of dismembered body parts like really intense stuff wow. so my time in medellin was like really really to I wouldn't Intense. say toxic, but on my system, on my nervous system, like, I couldn't sleep at night, I was like, yeah, I was awake all the time, my system was just being broken down, so yeah. whatever darkness I had that had been with me before just increased. Yeah, and this by this time you're, like, in the forest, so where were you mm -hmm. after Medellin? That was before. Or this is still in Medellin? And, okay. then, I, and then I left. Okay. Yeah, so then I go to this place called Hardin, which is this, like, beautiful little finca town. And I decided I was just gonna, you know, people were asking me to teach here and teach there and teach here. And I was like, I don't know what I want. My mind is confused. Like, let me just go spend some time in quiet. And, you know, being a sensitive person, I get very affected by what other people want of me. Yeah. I can sense what other people want of me. And then it becomes, it's what I think I should do. And then I lose track of like what I want. So, I um I went there. I spent about three weeks there, and I met some people, and it was really beautiful and intense. And I'm having this like just beautiful time, just in the mornings, taking early morning walks in these beautiful mountains, fincas of like bananas and coffee and calm, and these beautiful birds that would fly and cows everywhere. And these cows are like bigger and more beautiful than any American cow. Like they have these like huge horns and yeah. um, and they can like crawl up the mountain. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. So I'm there for a while and I'm still torn. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Like if I don't have a job, I can't stay in Colombia. Um, in total, you can spend six months out of the year there as a tourist. You go three months and then you renew your tourist visa for another 90 days. So. You can stay for 180 days total. Okay. Um, and I thought I had done that. I, I did the process. It actually never went through. <laughs> so many learning lessons. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, I think I do want to stay in Colombia. And maybe I need a job, you know, because I was really broke, like insecurity. Um, and I took a walk one morning and I said... I said to the universe, I would really not like to return to Pittsburgh for the winter... Um, but I only, and I called up the recruiter who had been trying to get me to move, like go to a different city for a different school. I called up the recruiter and I said, you know, <clears throat> I'm open to teaching, but I only want to teach at like 
a peaceful outdoor place you know no crazy schools like it's exhausting working as a teacher you know in a school especially i'm sure so he calls me the next day and he's like uh we have this place for you and i'm like no way and i look at the website and it's like exactly what i wanted they sing they do art it's all outside and i was like whoa that's really crazy like two days ago i I said i didn't want to go back to pittsburgh for the winter and I wanted to work at an outdoor school, and bam, like that's exactly what I got, yeah. right? Same thing as the earrings. Yeah, exactly. Same thing as the earrings. So I get all my stuff, and you know, I'm like saying goodbye to all my friends, and I had met someone who I was like maybe in love with, maybe not, not really sure. So it was emotional. It was like moving to a new city again. I had been on the run, not only on the run, but like unstable for years with just a little bit of money, not speaking the language very well. It was just a lot. So I get all my stuff, I go, and I wake up in the morning and my earrings missing. Or the night before, it was the night before, those earrings, I was wearing those earrings. And you, you can see both of them. them. So yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, you're saying you got all these yeah. miss earrings all the time, and well, there's two of them here. This so. is what's amazing about that one, is that, so I had, I lost it the night before, and I was like, that is so unfortunate. It's so deeply unfortunate because I love these earrings and it's so like me to lose one. And so the morning I woke up to go to my new job and I was, you know, in a new city that was nine hours by bus away, right? From where you lost your from, earrings? From where I was in Hardeen. Okay. Like I said, this little Finca town. And I thought, I thought, oh, I'm never gonna see it again. I'm never gonna see it again because I'm not gonna come back here and even if I do come back here it'll be like months from now and you know I just I won't I won't see it so I was like kind of grieving that because like I said it's it's so like me I guess or it it was a, a pattern that I had of losing my favorite earring and that morning I wake up at five and I you know I walk to the bus station um Oh, no, I get, yeah, I walked to the bus station because I had left my, all of my bags there the night before. And the whole time I'm looking on the road, trying to find, trying to find the earring, can't find it. So I arrive at the new city, nine hours later, I'm excited, you know, I'm nervous, there's all this stuff, I'm like, okay, Colleen, this is new life, new life. And I start kind of just like, I'm just so tired. Like, all that running around, like, and I arrived on a Thursday night, Friday, they had me teaching all day. Saturday, the family's taking me all around. I had a a host family, a very sweet host family, um, all in Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. Sunday, they take me out to the mountains to like swim in these creeks. I mean, beautiful, beautiful, amazing stuff. But again, it was all these other people doing things with me and my energy and me not feeling connected. You were just exhausted. I was exhausted. And then like the week starts and I have no plan for school. You know, I have all these different classes. I'm trying to learn all these names. I'm trying to speak Spanish. I'm trying to figure out what am I going to teach them. It was just so much. And what I did learn was that, like, you know, it's okay to ask for what you need sometimes, right? So I'm just overwhelmed at this point, and they're kind of looking to me to create a curriculum as well. And I just got to the point by the end of the first week that I said, you know, I just don't know if I'm up for this right now. Like... I don't know if I'm up for giving all of me away to teaching, which is really exhausting, without really having, without really having taken care of myself. And my earring being missing was another representation of just like parts of me that I was just like 
like power, giving my power away, giving what was important to me away, like yeah. not keeping for myself. And it wasn't the situation necessarily. Yeah, well, Everybody you, was really kind. Did and you like teaching them? And did you like what you were doing when you were there? I, I did. I liked the kids. I liked the school. I think in a different mindset and a different energy, like I would have done very well there because I had taught at an international school for five years in New Orleans. Um, so one night I have a dream while I'm there. My dreams, like I said, got really intense. And the dream was, in my dream, that I had found my earring. And I was like, wow, like that's really intense. Like, And I had asked the next morning, like a conversation starter for my students, like, do you remember your dreams? And um, can you tell me about them? And the kids were great. I mean, a lot of the older kids already knew a lot of English already. They were fascinating. I mean, I would totally go back to that school. The school's called Colegio de Ideas in Cali, Colombia. and. It broke my heart because I actually eventually left because I just felt like I didn't it, and it, it honestly felt like a big mistake like I was like wow why did I leave you know um, but in my dream I had found my earring and I was trying to listen to what my inner voice was telling me you know like do you push it through do you stay do you go if you go you're gonna have to go back to the US like are you prepared for that do you want to do that at that point, I felt like I was breaking down even more. You know, I said I had been going through this like psychotic, but not psychotic transformation. So I had all these things that were just like, I don't know where Colleen is in all of this, right? It, it was really wild. So I decided, made a really hard decision that I was going to leave and not teach. I wasn't ready. I had been gotten bitten by a dog too, you know. So Jesus. it was just like, oh, and then the apartment that I was supposed to get, they had given it to somebody else, and then it was like prolonged time to get the apartment, and it was just like one thing after another. Where I was like, I don't think I can handle one more piece of stress. I just can't. Like, I need to go recruit, like retreat. Um, and now, having looked back on it, I would have asked them to give me like a week or two to settle in before I started teaching. And that would have been smart. You know, yeah. like know where the grocery stores are, know what the bus system is, have an apartment, like. And be able to sit down and get a curriculum. Exactly. In place. Like I could have done that, yeah. but it was like all the pieces were just being thrown at me, mm -hmm. and that was kind of like the whole thing in Colombia was just like all these things being thrown yeah. at me. So is that more of the culture there versus America, where they? try to just push on everything no I don't think it's really the culture there I think it was just because I was an English teacher they had a lot of like excitement and expectations expectations from like oh this American is coming to teach yeah, us yeah it's the first like, time the Americans yeah. like, this is the first time we've had an American teacher we're really it's, excited about her like et cetera, et cetera. and they were all really sweet I mean like I said I would go back there they invited me back but yeah so I had decided I was going to leave and I decided that I was going to go spend the rest of the time that I could be in Colombia in Jardin, which is where I had been, and I had had this like boyfriend that also had triggered really deep wounds in me as well, which was really intense. And me being the kind of person that I am, when something is challenging or triggering, I go into it, you know, like, or at least I have gone into it. I'm like, why did this happen? I want to know more about it. Um, I'm, I'm similar in that sense, in that regard, especially in the last six months or so. I've, mm. I've really tried to like step back and analyze like what is happening and what's going on what what am i doing what what's my like place among everybody else and 
that it's just like a part of my personality. Like I think so much. I overthink everything. Part of the reason why I want to do a podcast is to like try and help me like think through the whatever's going on in my head and like learn more about unique people that I meet mm-hmm. in my life. You know, direct your energy. Yeah. yeah of so course. it's. I, I know you're. I know you're going through with that because, and I think a lot of people do. They just. Of course. Some people are just more honest and open about yeah. it. I've always been like transparent and. Transparency is really important, I think, because. I think authenticity is the most um, attractive quality in a person. If you're authentic to who you are, then you're trustworthy. You can, you're dependable. You can be, right. you can be accountable to the other people in your life. And yeah, and I definitely was not like that sometimes. You know, like you, you think you're authentic and then, and then you realize like, like on I'm deeper levels, you're like, I'm God. so full of bullshit right now, you know? <laughs> and like, I'm not in control yeah. of my energy or I'm not directed. So the decision for me to leave the school was such a big one. I was like trying to figure out what does my authentic self want, et cetera, et cetera. And I go, I decide, you know, it's a whole big process. And, and you know, I want to say thanks to all the people who helped me out. And I, I returned to Hardeen because it was peaceful and it was the first place that I started calming down in like two years um, of just hearing my own internal voice again. Like I couldn't hear it because the world was so noisy and loud. Yeah, yeah. And when you're really sensitive too, it's not only do you hear it orally, but you also hear it in your energetic system, right? Sorry. Okay. Um, so I get back to the, the hostel where I had been working. I get back to the hostel and the guy who runs the hostel, like one of the first things he says to me is he, um, he's like, is this yours? And I was like, oh my God, you have my other earring. He's like, yeah, we found it like on the ladder. (laughs) What? It was like hanging on the ladder, like that goes up to the belt, like the, the mezzanine. And I had been sleeping up there and I had looked all around, you know, like looking for my earring. Wow. And he was like, yeah, we found it, you know, a couple, like, after you left, and we thought it was, might be yours. And I think I, like, cried and, like, half peed my pants a little bit because (laughs) I thought I would never see it again. And I had dreamed about it. And also I was like, okay, because I was feeling really bad about all the things that I had left. I had left multiple things like I had left the jobs in Medellin I had left my job in Cali I had been leaving jobs blah 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 blah, all over the place I was like what are you doing and the fact that the dream had come true that I had found this earring that was like you know special in how I received them I was like wow I think I must be on the right path like I must be on the right path um because my dreams are coming true it was a dream it was a sign from the universe and like and I've gone through so many, I mean, cause I spent, I, de- I eventually came back to Pittsburgh over the winter and like was miserable. Just like, abs- if anybody out there knows what Pittsburgh winters are like, or even the winters up in the Northeast, like. They're pretty brutal. At least the ones here, I mean, they're brutal and everyone's like, oh, it wasn't that cold. And I said, yeah, but it was gray. And I, my constitution is a tropical constitution, so. Anything below 40 degrees is too cold for me. And also, yeah. I need sunshine. So that was actually... I thought that I had been in the cocoon before that, you know, of, like, transformation. That was, like, when I was truly facing 
my deep, deep dark shadow. Cause I like went into dark self hate, self pity. I was lazy. I couldn't move. And sometimes when you get into those states, you forget about the magic, you know, you forget about how magical life is. The, yeah. And that like your dreams actually come true. Yeah. Like you're like, I'm going to find my earring. And then I yeah. found it, even I mean, though it, like, you know, it took me leaving a bunch of jobs and like, and I regretted it. I was like, man, why did I leave? I'm here in Pittsburgh. It's cold. And so it was just like such a beautiful, it, it just reminded me that like, okay, magic doesn't just go away. You just, your frequency you changes. It. No, you don't, you don't lose it. You lose it and find it again. Like, well, it's just like, it's it like slips away. Then you can grasp it. Well, I think again, of what it is. I mean, you know? like when you, when you work on yourself, right, you, your energy, your vibration, everything is a vibration. If you ever listen to Deepak Chopra, he talks about how nothing is actually solid. Everything is just yeah, vibrating. Well, that's, to I a mean, point. literally the atoms in everything are vibrations. Right. And those vibrations, um, like in the physical sense of like physics, mm. waves traverse through every single atom and sound waves, the same thing, uh, through this wooden table right here. Right. This sound is a vibration running through the entire table and that tap it. Mm -hmm. You know, everything is connected like that. Totally. And so, and that doesn't just go away. What I did realize is that sometimes your vibration can fall, your personal vibration can fall to a point that you're not in touch with the miracles and magic that are happening. Like, you're just not, you're like, you might be outside of even seeing it, even though it's happening all the time. Yeah. Because it's happening within you all the time. Yeah, and whenever know? whenever I like second guess myself or start to get a little down, um one of the things that helps me rebound from that is like literally the simple fact that you're living is like the biggest gift you could possibly have because you just you have an opportunity to live life. And uh some people like if you if you lose that sense then I don't, I don't mean i don't know where you could go like the darkest places that people go when they commit suicide and they feel like i mean i've never really been there but like they feel like to me like there's no there's no end goal like their the life doesn't really accumulate to anything but and that's their perspective and, and it's really sad and that's really that's sad. kind of like what that dark evil energy yeah. does to you is that it it warps your perspective in mm -hmm. such a, in such a way that you can't see clearly what life is that's a really good way to put it yeah, yeah. and the constant reminder that like life is just it'll it'll go on with or without you and you can choose to participate or you can if you if you don't choose to participate then there's literally nothing for you to do because life is just it just is and however you want to i don't know participate in that is just how you have to live your life and knowing that part your participation is valuable yeah it's it's, a, it's not it's not worthless like in in some aspects like the entire planet is meaningless but in other aspects this planet is the holds more meaning than anything else in the universe that well, we know. Well, that's what Einstein says, you know, you either have to look at everything as a miracle or nothing. I is. literally have that quote written down. <laughs> and, um, you know, what's even more beautiful is that, like, I started coming out of this really dark place. My friends started calling me, you know, like, I'd 
most of my relationships were over the phone or on the computer because I came back to Pittsburgh not really having very many connections um, and I'm a, I think I'm a community oriented person and just having to accept the isolation you know people were going through isolation during the pandemic for like what two months or something three months or so. three months I had been in that five months prior so I had been like alone every single day with my thoughts in my head battling right so I start coming out. My friends are calling me because they're like, how do you deal with this? And and in order to get away from all the fear, I started thinking about what makes you feel good. Like literally like on this very deep resonant level, like what is it? And for me, it was just, you know, love, connection, you know, like waking up in the morning and being excited to be alive. What makes you feel like that? Mm. And my friend was like, I just want to be with someone. I want to be held, you know, because I think when we were in the in the height of the pandemic, we weren't talking to people. I was living with my folks and felt very repressed. Um, yeah. You know, bless them, but I was very repressed, like, living with them. I think every kid, once you get to a certain age, that makes you feel that totally. way. Totally, and parents. I'm a 35-year-old woman who's traveled the world. Like, I mean, it was, uh, it was like, major expansion into like Columbia. instant manif- manifestation yeah. of like, oh, I don't want to go back to Pittsburgh for the winter. Here's a job for you exactly as you want. Oh, you have a dream about missing an earring. Oh, well, you know, like just follow your intuition and you'll find it again, you know? So I did that to like complete like retraction. And that was, that was a learning lesson for me because it was like when we expand to a point of fear, like we're expanding and a lot of the times we're pushing up against everything that we've ever feared in our lives namely facing ourselves breaking through our own patterns you know and like and i had done that so many times broken through broken through broken through and this time i just got scared and exhausted and i was like you know what i just i need to retreat and that taught me that you know um contraction feels awful (laughs) expansion feels way much better and (laughs) and also that's like and that's in a scientific way if you think about this like we have the atom bomb is uh, the separation of an atom, which creates all this like insane energy. I mean, you're, you're separating an atom, which then creates like insane amounts of destruction. Yeah, right? it's such a fascinating. So I separation. Mean, it's, that's what stars do. Yeah. At the core, they break down atoms. Mm. Yeah. Well, what I learned was that fusion is actually stronger fusion. than, yeah. no, than fission. Vision. vision and fusion, yeah. So I took so, astronomy last semester, fall semester, mm-hmm. and uh, it was my favorite class that I ever took at HC, mm-hmm. by far. Um, I actually I saw it um, my freshman year, uh, fall semester. I had a friend take it on the football team, and uh, he was telling me about it. I'm like, dude, that's awesome! Like, I, I've always loved space. I've always been super interested in that. When I first came to lacrosse, I wanted to be a physics major because. I want to do astrophysics mm-hmm. and that it was just like way too in, intense academically for me like I couldn't keep up with it so I switched the to a math major yeah. so I switched to math major which is equally as challenging in its its own right mm-hmm. um, but a little more my speed and for seven semesters it wasn't available again or I guess six semesters mm-hmm. it, I looked every single semester and it was never there and then I was just randomly looking for a class for fall semester, uh, my senior year, and there it is. I'm like, oh my god! I just jumped on it immediately. I got like the last seat, 
and the time was from 2 to 3.15. And we normally had uh, special teams meetings for at 2 p.m. and practice starting at 3.30. So that time was really tough for me, but I told the coaches like, look, this is a class that I've always wanted to take in, to take. And if it like people have conflicts with classes and meetings all the time, you want to avoid it if you can, but if you can't avoid it, then you do it. And I just told the coaches like, look, this class is more important than the meeting, the one meeting that I'm going to miss every week like so I don't care I'm just gonna do it and there's nothing you can do about it there's really not like they complained but whatever and uh, you kind of just get over it so you really wanted to take the class yeah I, and I I got I think an A minus in it and really enjoyed it but one of the f- first things you le- learned about was this formation of stars and how um, you start with an enormous cloud of hydrogen and then slowly things start diffracting. I don't know what the term is, but you just get smaller pockets where there's a little bit more condensed and they just slowly start to form. And then you get this cloud that's a little more intense and then that creates its own um, gravitational field and it brings more of the hydrogen cloud together. And then all of a sudden you get this sphere that is affected by the gravitational pull of the initial um, hydrogen cloud coming together and it just you just create stars from this cloud of hydrogen and it burns burns hydrogen into helium helium into you know oxygen and carbon and all these things and everything like literally this table and this computer and my fingernails all came from the same material stars yeah I, that's the, the when i when i first heard that neil degrasse tyson first told me that but when i first heard that we literally, literally are the f- culmination of uh, supernovae. Mm-hmm. Then we're made of stardust. You lit- like you have this existential realization that everything come like we are. We're just a product of the universe. Mm-hmm. And one, th- well, I heard this. I don't know when, but um, humans, humanity, consciousness, like how we are self-aware beings is the universe's way of experiencing itself mm-hmm. yeah we're and that's and people in spiritual aspects say we're god experiencing itself we're consciousness experiencing itself. yeah like the the consciousness or the god or whatever would not be able to experience it without the experiencer like mm-hmm. it's like you have to have something opposite of you to yeah. know what you are and if and this could be the most uh, egocentric thing that God has ever done is created humans in his own likeness so they can experience him and worship him for what he is. And I'm, I'm just saying that. Like, I'm not a religious guy. But. No, I think, and I think what's interesting about religion is that, you know, when we threw out science and science throughout religion, we missed so much of, like, mm, the in-between yeah. stuff. And um, what is really amazing, and I think what we're coming to realize now, is that we are co-creators and that we do, we are the experience, we are God, we are the universe experiencing itself. And when we expand and we can understand that like, we're co-creators. And all of the story that I just tell you, told you was about my own co-creation. Yeah. And then also how I l- disbelieved my own co-creation and thought, you know, it's like you sink into like a victim mentality 
which then you give up your power of co-creation and you you let other people dictate what happens in your life and, and sometimes it's even unconscious right oh so, of course you know like I we think don't realize the victimization sorry to <coughs> excuse me interrupt you <coughs> oh no it's okay bless you mm. the the victimization of the woke culture now is i think the most toxic thing mm-hmm. that we could do because it's under this guise of morality when really you're giving people excuses to be less than mm-hmm. by saying you're i mean and we can think of the most disenfranchised group in america black trans women mm-hmm. i think like that's a thing like and that demographic is the most victimized mm-hmm. so we have to do whatever to make them feel less victimized well i feel like defining them as victimized is what's victimizing them in the first place so if you don't victimize them at all and you just let them be this is how i feel about racism too well that's actually something that a lot of my black friends have said to me is that like you know and i've heard this from lots of people that say like you know if you don't start acting like the king that you know yourself to be sorry if you didn't know (laughs) you know but um you're actually a king and that's why they want to keep you down because they know how powerful Yeah, every are. single person is as equally powerful as the next. Because we're all human beings. We're all capable of the same thing. And it's true that there's, like, definite disadvantages. I mean, of course. Like, if you come up without money and you come up with money, like, whatever. But, um, but you know, I think that, like, that's what's really beautiful about... I love melding... I love bringing science and spirituality back together again. Because it, it allows for a framework to see our society in a different way right like not just in a different way but like to broaden our perspective about things and like um and you know i i went through the winter i had almost lost hope to be quite honest with you because i had not only sunken so far but i had i had like restricted my power i had like given up my power did you feel like you'd failed yeah i feel like i failed and it wasn't just that failing it was like columbia was supposed to be it but it was all the other failures that i had had you know just um, accumulation like you you get down like man i always fail it was the biggest it was the biggest breakdown of my life to be quite honest with you and a lot of other things happened that were pretty tragic in the tragic and traumatic in the middle but um, what I was saying earlier, my friend calls and she's like kind of having a breakdown. We're both processing sexual trauma from maybe not only this lifetime, but other lifetimes as well. And you know, what that reflects to us is how do we see ourselves? How do we view ourselves? How do we view our divine feminine? What kind of broken masculines have we brought into our lives that then further demote or disempower us? So it's not just about looking at one event, it's literally changing all those patterns, right? And I say that because um, I'm trying to change her, like not change her perspective, I'm trying to shift the energy because we're talking about everything that's wrong and everything that hurts and it's important to see that stuff. Just like now, we're airing out all of like our traumatic history, right? And we're airing it out on a kind of like a big, like y'all need to wake up, you know? Mm -hmm. Like the people who aren't woke yet, like please. Um, some of us are like, yeah, yeah, we've been here for a while, (laughs) you know? So I'm trying to shift the energy with her to say like, what makes you feel whole? What makes you feel in unison? Like what makes you feel good? Right? Uh, That's a question that everybody needs to ask themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying this to her and 
I'm telling her what makes me feel good. I was like, can you imagine whatever partner you want? You know, whatever, like the perfect situation. And I don't mean perfect, like there's no, no, no negative, no bad. Right. It's yeah. perfect because it is perfect for you where you are. Yeah. Right. Like you're, you, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not like you need to fix yourself, not, not fix yourself, but like, it's not like you're unworthy of having a partner. You're unworthy. It's like, that's not true at all. So could you imagine all of you being accepted, right? As I'm saying this, I'm looking out the window and a little hummingbird comes and is like hanging around the bush. Now that's really special on multiple levels. One, I had finished painting a hummingbird, like like a couple months prior to that. Two, the national bird of Colombia is a hummingbird. The place in Hardeen where I was staying was full of hummingbirds. My friend who was giving me a massage, and I told you my body had been really broken, yeah. right? So I'm in this hut, she's giving me a massage, and outside this hummingbird was on the deck, like it got lost in this mosquito netting, and it was like just like laying there. It was just laying on the like, ground, like, like on the deck. No, it wasn't dead. It was just really tired. So she goes out after massaging me and like picks up this hummingbird and starts like, massaging the hummingbird, massaging the hummingbird, <laughs> feeding it water. And she's like, I was going to show you, but you know, you were resting in there. Like, you know, after your massage. And I was like, yo, that was me though. Do you know what wow. I mean? Like, that's like, that was me. That was yeah. like, you just nursed a hummingbird back to life. And hummingbirds are beautiful. They represent transformation. They represent joy. They represent, um, you know, the heartbeats like a million yeah. times a they minute. They have the fastest, um, like, movement, mm -hmm. I think, in the natural world. Yeah, they I mean. They move the fastest of, like, any living thing. And their wings are in uh, an infinity sign. Yeah. And on top of that, even though they're tiny little birds, they will fly cross continent. Oh, yeah. So of course. They're all of that fascinating creatures. On top of the fact that I had never seen a hummingbird at my parents' house ever in my life. Wow. Ever in my life did I see a hummingbird, not to mention that I was talking about what makes me happy, what makes me bring brings me joy in the middle of this con I'm getting chills while I'm saying this right now. So much in the middle of the conversation about how we have to believe that we're worthy enough for the things that we want that bring us joy because when we bring ourselves joy we're able to bring others joy and it's not just about joy but it's about knowing that you're worthy of waking up every morning with this miraculous feeling that like dreams come true you know like whatever you think about you create you're a co-creator you're a manifestator like you're not a victim right in the middle of this conversation of me empowering my friend to remember that even through all the division that we're experiencing internally, externally, the sickness, the fear, so much fear, I'm like, let's shift the energy. I see a hummingbird for like five seconds and it flies away. And I'm just like floored because I had forgotten. I had forgotten for a little while because like I told you, I had lost hope. I mean, I was in the deep dark. I mean, I, I felt suicidal this past winter. Like I had suicidal talk in my ear, like somebody whispering to me, you're not worthy, you know, look at your life, like you're da, 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 like for months. And so to wake up and have those magical things happen again, I was like, okay, it's not dead. Yeah. It's still here. You're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. And the hummingbird really cool. came and I was wow. like, wow. And I had made a picture before I had left Hardeen 
after I had come back to get my earring. So I had come back, I had found my earring, I stayed for another couple weeks, and I had made this beautiful drawing, because I'm an artist as well. And it was a flower of life with a hummingbird on it, and then it was like the mountains and the river of Hardeen. And I had, I was like, this is, and it inspired me to say, you know, I think I want to write a children's book or illustrate a children's book, or I don't know, but it's about a hummingbird, and it's about like, yeah. The spirit of the hummingbird, the spirit of, um, you know, regeneration, the spirit of, you know, they have, they bring joy, they, they drink of the nectar, so that's really an important thing too, they drink of the nectar, they move towards the things that are beautiful, they drink from the beautiful things, they teach you how to, to love and enjoy, um, they teach you how to have stamina over long distances, over long journeys. Um, the runner's high. I guess I don't know. Yeah, well, I was—I don't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, it's okay. That—that that was pretty much yeah, the end of my story. Is just that like that's really cool. Magic after magic after magic after magic just after goes, magic. Yeah. Like, um, you know, and when you're aware of that stuff, it happens even more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of like the stamina over long distances, like that isn't everybody because mm. uh, I went on a run yesterday for the first time in a few days, and uh, I've been dealing with this problem with my knee I was telling you about, and. The day after, like the afternoon after, my knee was killing me. But during this run, once I start running, like my knee can kind of keep up with it, and it's, it's it doesn't bother me. But the the first mile is always a struggle because you're just kind of getting into it and you're starting, and you're like you start that struggle, and it's always hard to like once you start to struggle a little bit, it's always hard to continue struggling. Mm -hmm. But I hit this point after, um, like a mile and three quarters where it was all downhill from there because mm -hmm. I had just sprinted up this big hill and then taken a little bit of a break and did some like ab and like push up stuff just to you know get that get that in and uh at the top of the hill I was running all the way down the neighborhood and I was able to just cruise with like a pretty good stride and just hit this state where I was just going and nothing could stop me. My music was bumping. I was pumped up and just running. And my face started getting flushed. And my chest was puffed up forward. And I was doing that, like, making sure I had good posture mm -hmm. with my skeletal system. And I was just cruising. And I was just, this is, like, the most euphoric state I've been in in mm -hmm. weeks because... Your energy is free. Oh, it's, the runner's high, I always thought it was bullshit. But, like, it is... Yeah, the one of the best feelings that you can have mm -hmm. and it was this was the best run i'd ever been on and it, what is so sad is i had i have this nike run club app on my phone so it tracks my my like all everything about my run and i paused it when i hit the top of the hill to take a break mm -hmm. and i thought that it would just restart when i started running but it didn't restart so i had to like actively press play and i forgot to do that so during the entire downhill stretch and this peak like best run of my life I probably broke my 1k record mm -hmm. and my mile record just just going and I lost it I lost the entire like stats from it but uh, isn't that funny <laughs> some of the best things that we do in our life nobody sees <sighs> I swear to god yeah. like most of my my like all of my success I shouldn't say all of my success but the things that I've really triumphed in have usually been in these moments of solitude and that's when I have to remember that we're being watched 
or that, you know, and I don't mean that in like a big brother way, even though that's probably true, but that there are, and I'll share one other story about this, but that there are forces at play that we can't see. Mm-hmm. And that when we believe the universe is in our favor and that everything that comes to us is for our benefit. And now let me say this, I believed that and then I was tested in it and I didn't believe it for a while. It's not yeah. that I didn't believe it, it was just that I was like, how could this be, you know, like I just feel so fucked up right now. Like, how could this be for me, you know? And then you realize it's like, well, all of those places that you're resisting are still things and blockages you have to move through, right? So, um, and I'll share one other story about, if you don't mind. No, of course. About this, Whatever you want. This was in Colombia too, and this was like right before I was leaving. Um, I I connected with the woman who run who ran the Ego Lodge really well, but I struggled with her boyfriend. He was a 23 year old French man, and I don't know. I just I struggled. I, I appreciated him. I appreciated what he did. I appreciated his knowledge, um, but I think being over 10 years older than him I was just like I I was at a point in my life where I was so sick of listening to men (laughs) to be perfectly honest I was like my whole life men have been telling me how to be and what to think and having these opinions and I just wanted to be free of all that you know and I had to remove all of that internal judgment because that was actually part of the reason why a lot of the things weren't working out as I expected in in Colombia because I kept bumping up into these men that would trigger me. They would trigger, like, one of my bosses said, um, we're not seeing a lot of resilience from you. We need to see some more resilience. And I remember looking him straight in the face and being like, I am more resilient than you have. You have no idea how resilient I am. Like, you have no clue. Just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean that it's not there and that I'm not trying. And maybe I'm just trying too hard and I need to, like, make a boundary and say, like, this isn't for me right now. So anyway, um, I was I was struggling with him, and I realized that that was a pattern that I had had that I was flushing out in my life, of one standing in my feminine power, but also the receptive power of being a feminine, right? And how a lot of women are like, we want to be these women, we want to be ourselves, but we're like dragging our men along with us to like be able to meet us where we are. Of like, you need to be able to hold me here, right? Yeah. Like, um, so he tells us, <laughs> there's the eco lodge is like up on this hill. And then you go down the hill and there's a river and a valley. And then there's like the mountain on the other side. And the opposite side of the mountain was just beautiful. And you know, the moon would rise over the mountains and like there were eucalyptus trees yeah. everywhere. And yeah. it was amazing. But he's trying, he's down there and he's... Uh, sorry, not down there. He was down by the river, just above the cliff, cutting down bamboo. Because I guess they were going to make steps or something, or like some sort of thing to get down to the river. And he invites us all to come down there. And I'm like, it's my last day. Like, I'll go, you know. And I hadn't really eaten much and whatever. And again, like I said, I was having issues with my body. Just, you know, I was once very strong and like very supple and you know I didn't really totally take care of myself I did but I was kind of you know I wouldn't always like take caution with everything so we get to the cliff so mind you we go down the hill and there's a cliff and a cliff and then there's the river and the cliff is probably like at least 100 feet roughly 100 feet 
Maybe a little less than uh-huh. that. But it's, no, it's less than that. It's probably like... 80 feet? Yeah. My dad jumped off an 80-foot cliff once. Oh, my God. So the only thing to get down was a rope. Okay? So we had to use this rope, and it was muddy. So anytime you step in, like, the mud, you know, your feet sink. And I amazingly got down. And, you know, my friends are already down there. And to, you know, the, the guy... Uh, his name was Tebow, and like I said, bless him. It was so easy for him. He didn't think about it. You know, he's 23. He like, he. I don't know if he's ever had any issues with his body before, but once you have issues with your body, you think about how you move in space differently. I knee. Yeah. Exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I'm like taking my time, right? I'm just like really being cautious, and I get to the bottom, and I'm like, I'm going to have to climb back up that. I have to climb back up that yeah. end. I was like, all right, we're not going to think about that right now. Yeah. We went to the river. We decided to do a little bit of a ceremony because we were really into doing ceremonies. And What kind of ceremony was this? It was just like a gratitude ceremony. We, we did all sorts of ceremonies, but we smoked a little. And my friend had um, a book about angels. She was like always talking about angels. And so we were sitting on this rock. We had gone in the river. Um, I was constantly going in the rivers in Hardeen. It was amazing. Um... And we were sitting on this rock, and we were talking about angels. And I don't remember what exactly we were saying about angels. We were just talking about angels. And um, and I'm just sitting there being really at peace, almost not wanting to speak. You know, I was, like, communicating a lot with the energy around me, the water, the birds, the everything. And uh, my energy was definitely, like, much more calm. And I'm getting to the point where I'm really hungry and I know that we have to climb back up this hill and I'm getting a little nervous. So I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to go back now. I think it's time. So we all decide to go back after this conversation about angels. And we get there and there's another guy with us. Tebow had already gone. He had like, doop, 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 like up the mountain or up the hill. And like I said, this was a cliff of mud and, and roots and of trees. So, <laughs> and it was straight up. And there was only a rope, you know? And I think in a past life, I would have just like, boop, 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 because I had climbed rocks before, like I was a rock climber or whatever. But in the state that I was in, I was just very, very cautious, moving very slowly to make sure that I had control of my body. Um, And, you know, we're walking on slippery rocks in the river. Like, you become conscious of your mortality. Let's just say that. Well, when you're in the elements like that, of course you are. Because you're, you're just another animal in, in the in the mountains like totally. um, a jaguar could just jump you out of nowhere and you'd have no power yep. no nothing yeah so the guy that we were with who was another he was a canadian actually he goes up first right and as a belayer in my past i decided to stay at the bottom and just hold the, the rope steady yeah because i was thinking oh, i'll just go up right after him and i was like no 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 a smart rock climber would wait until he gets to the top hold the rope steady and then, you know, just wait. So he gets up, and he's, like, halfway up. And I'm sitting there. I'm probably, like, maybe, I don't know, like, two feet away from the, the, the face of the cliff. And I hear him starting to shout. And then I hear my friend shouting. And they're, like, and I don't remember what he said, but it was, like, hey! You know, like, something, like, really, like... Startling. Really startling. And I'm so peaceful and calm that I'm not even really aware of what's going on. And then Ava, the woman who's like owns the Eco Lodge, she's behind me. And she starts like screaming as well. And it happened so fast. And the reason why they were screaming was because this bamboo shoot 
that had been sliced. So it had like a pointy end. And it was, I think I told you this story already, yeah. but I'm sharing yeah. it again. Um, and it was probably like, what, like three. six inches? How many inches was That's that? That's three inches. Three inches around. Yeah. So it was like this big. Three inches, the circumference was three inches. No, the, the radius, the diameter, diameter, that's what it is. The diameter was three inches, which was a really heavy piece of bamboo. And it had been cut yeah. at a point. And they're screaming because it starts flying down the cliff right at me <laughs> to the point where it misses me by maybe two inches on the head misses me misses my head comes right in front of my face hits my shoulder or hits my elbow because i was holding the rope hits my elbow and lands by my foot and it really stung how like, wait how deep did it embed itself in the ground because um, that would a couple, be a couple inches a couple inches yeah because it was wow. soft ground it was yeah. like muddy soft ground so yeah i don't really even remember because i was just so just like you just face death and you're like oh my god I... well and the crazy thing was is that i wasn't luckily I felt like luckily I didn't look up and maybe it would have been better if I had looked up because I could have moved away but I was just standing there and I was so like you know he's yelling and I didn't even think to look up or move out of the way because I didn't know what was happening yeah. and this thing comes and I'm what was fascinating to me is that had that hit me on the head I could have either been dead no you it would have killed you brain damaged they would have had to like bring some sort of thing to pull me up that cliff, you know, like all sorts of things. The re I mean, the rescue operation would have taken hours. Yeah. You know, and I would rather have just or not. Been... Didn't you say it was like a 16 hour hike or something to no, get to the cliff? No, it was right behind the, the Eagle Lodge. It wasn't okay. a 16 hour. No, but it was, you know, it, like I would have probably had to have been taken to Medellin, which I probably would have had to go in a helicopter because yeah, um, definitely. you know, it's like a bus ride, like six hours. And oh. I don't think that the, you know, anyway, so that's all to say that we had been talking about angels before that. Yeah. Right. And I literally in that moment, I couldn't think at that moment. Cause I was yeah. like, I still have to climb this fucking, like, I, I couldn't even think about what had just happened because I still had to climb this cliff and it was difficult, you know, cause there was moments where I was like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Um, and I did. I made it to the top, and I was exhausted, and I was hungry, and my body was exhausted. And finally, when Ava gets up, like, all three of us stand up there, and she was like, You almost died! <laughs> and I was like, yeah, now that I think about it, like, I couldn't think about it at the time, but, yeah, you're right, oh, I, I could have... so bad. I mean, and that's how close we become with death all the time. Yeah. Especially you know? when you live out there, I mean, you, you feel like you confront it so much more than you, when you live in the city like this. Like, when, like, driving a car, I guess, would be the closest thing we have to any sort of normalcy to danger. And, I mean, what I've noticed from the people that I've heard of talk about it who've experienced those places that are out of the city, out of the modern civilization, is they have so much more of an intense connection to just life and nature because they confront it. They're surrounded by it. The and cycles of nature. Yeah. And you, when we, like, I think we've, we've lost, we've lost touch with that. We've totally lost so touch with that. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's the crux of why everything's out of alignment right now yeah. is because we've forgotten yeah. who we are, where we come from, mm -hmm. what we belong to, 
you know not that the earth belongs to us we belong to the earth Mm -hmm. you know and i think about it like i think living in the city is a hundred times a million times more dangerous than living out there and having those kinds of things happen because um you know that would have been a fluke of nature and i was protected by an angel you know i mean i like to think about it like this all of the intensity that's going on right now people are getting in their cars and driving you know, so they're, they're, and I know that people will take out whatever they're not exercising out of their body, whatever they're not meditating out of their body, like whatever energy is coming through them. A lot of the times people will take it out in their driving. I've seen it with my father. He drives like kind of like a maniac sometimes. And he's like a super like outwardly really peaceful guy. And I'm just like, how are you driving so crazy? Like, you know, it's like, stop, start really fast acceleration yeah. stop really fast and i'm just like crazy. and i get i'm like i don't mean to yell at you but you're driving crazy can you like and i've been in car accidents i've been hit by cars on my bike like please yeah chill the fuck out and that's my that is my advice to everyone fucking meditate okay <sighs> fucking calm the fuck down yeah. because if you do not control your energy like you will attract situations that will match your energy, you know. That's a is, good. That's a good point. That's a good way. Which to is put what it. I have done. You know, I've done that on good, in really amazing, positive, like expansion ways, and I've done it on the repressed, contracted ways as well. Yeah. You know, which makes me realize that it's a true thing. Like the universe will meet you where you are, um, but it'll keep reminding you that magic exists. And I think that, you know, those like the laws of nature don't change just because you live in nature or the city. Yeah. Right, the laws of physics or whatever. Um, but also, just realizing how many times my life has been saved. I remembered that moment a lot during the winter when I wanted to like literally not exist anymore because I was like, well, there's something keeping me alive. I'm here for a reason. Whether I understand exactly what that is, even if I don't have a directed, clear picture of what that is. Yeah. You know. Um. um uh, yeah. So. <laughs> just wild wild stuff yeah when you have near-death experiences oh man i've i've actually had one true near-death experience Mm -hmm. and this is a this is a crazy story it happened when i was skiing uh in casper with uh literally the number two and like the number four or whatever guy who like runs the entire ski area because Mm -hmm. i grew up with the people that are now like the director and the co-director or whatever so I mean, I know this mountain like the back of my hand. I'm skiing with the best skiers in town, basically. And we're just cruising along. Like, we own this mountain. Like, the confidence I feel when I'm skiing at home is unmatched by anything else because I, my skis are an extension of my feet, and I can control the tip and the tail as easily as I can control my ankles and my knees, you know. So I'm, I'm skiing. I'm, I have full confidence in my ability as a skier. And what this did was it checked my checked my confidence like you get okay you're not confident now you're cocky you got to check that you got to be confident you can't be cocky and that's very true i definitely went through that in my own my own time too yeah so what thank you that open the window um so what i won't go into like how the mountain is broken down like i could i could describe you like what trail i was on and like where the trees are and stuff but basically there's a cat track and there's um, a cat track is like a short, narrow path 
through through these trees and on either side there's a little bit of rundown on the cliff on each side and we're running we're like jumping over the cat track and like there's a fence that runs along one side and we're jumping over the fence and just like there's tiny little jumps here and there that you can have fun and just go through before we even get to the trail that we're going to mm. and uh the first run we did this run two times the first run i was second so I was following because I didn't know exactly where the new trail was because like the first second day I've been on the mountain, and then uh, the next run I was leading it and I was like I found um, so we're, you go like jump off to, from right to left over this fence and then you're supposed to take a left big left footer with a big uh, a lot of open space and then jump back over the fence to get back on the cat track, and instead of going jumping back over where we did before, I saw this untouched patch of uh, fresh snow and I'm like hey I'm gonna go get some fresh pow. So I veer left instead of right to jump over the fence, and uh, I'm waiting for the trail to like take me where it's gonna go, like wherever it's gonna go. And I probably had two seconds to to process this. Right after, sorry, right after I uh, veered off, the fence kept going on my right side, and there was a bunch of there's a bundle of trees on the left side. So I figured there was going to be some place for me to go between the trees and the fence. But that place I was supposed to go was about 18 inches wide. And there's just no, like, it was not, there's a reason why that fresh patch of snow was there. Because you weren't supposed to go there because there's no way out. Mm. So this fence and this, these trees converge at the same point. And the way the fence is lined up, there's um about a six inch diameter post that makes up the fence and it's going diagonally from bottom left to upper right and there's a uh at least a foot or more thick tree that's on the left side mm. that has these spikes um from broken tree branches that are about two inches in diameter and a foot long and there's six of them and they're in every direction on this on the base of this tree mm. And I'm heading straight for that tree. There's nowhere for me to go. It, my skis are too long for me to do a jump stop. Like even, even if I tried, I'd get tripped up and I'd go side, like the side of my body would hit the tree. So there's the the only instincts I have, the only thing that I can do to avoid the worst possible case scenario. And I'm going, I'm hauling ass too. Like we're, I mean, I'm I just come off came off this jump. And it's this big open space where t you take a big left footer and you carry a lot of speed to jump over the next part. But so I'm carrying all this speed and I didn't use it anywhere. So I'm probably going like 25, 30 miles an hour, and uh, which is way too fast for the trees. Mm. <laughs> say that right now. And uh, the only thing I can do is lean back as far as I can and make myself as small as possible. So basically, just put myself into a ball on my knees. And let the brunt of the front of my skis take the brunt of the impact and like hopefully I make it out of this alive and uh, I was able to when I hit so I get back on my heels my left ski gets caught in the snow and I pitch forward but I can rotate my shoulders to the side so I got my left shoulder front and I'm making myself as skinny as possible to get through this narrow gap it's, it's barely over maybe a foot and a half that I got to get my whole body through. Mm. And as I, my left ski hits and it gets caught in the snow, so I'm pitched forward on my left side and I just 
somehow squeeze through this extremely narrow gap and I'm coming on my back and my the wood post from the fence is the only thing I didn't make it through and my left leg right below my butt hits the wood fence and you hear this huge crack and then that impact flips me back over on my feet and I like sort of land on my feet mm. I'm like I did like a backflip front flip side twist and I get up and I'm like holy shit okay what I start like my body hurts like I'm in pain but like nothing's too bad I start like patting my legs like she was like, okay, like pinch myself, my live. <laughs> I, I just smoked this tree. And I get up and my, my, my buddies are following me and they're just howling, laughing. Ah, you crashed. Ah. And then they see what I went through and their jaws just drop. They're like, you, wait, are you okay? Like, like, what do you got going on? Like, let's check your body. Like, are you okay? So I pull my, my jacket up and I have, you can barely see the scar there, but I get one of the branches that, one of the spikes from the tree was sticking out and as I went through it one of the spikes caught my jacket and scraped me from my like right hip up to my chest in about a six to eight inch cut it wasn't that bad but that's all I came away with it was just a cut from the branch and this big bruise on my thigh and I got up and I took one more run because I ain't no bitch Mm. (laughs) and uh that was basically the end of the day but I that was the first time that I'd ever confronted or had any sort of like near-death experience and I didn't really have time to process it until I was driving back down the mountain yeah. at the end of the day. I was like, I started like laughing slash crying because I was like, I'm like, I, li- I, my, uh, the guy I was skiing with, he's the, he's a ski patrol guy, he's EMT and he always has his pack on, you know. And he's like, dude, like I would have had to intubate you, you know, because this these spikes were longer than the microphone, you know. And if that if I hit that the worst possible spot, I'd have a two inch or a two uh, foot long branch in my chest. Mm. Both of my lungs would have caved in, multiple broken ribs, like punctured heart, like who knows? Just getting stabbed by a a, a stick, basically, you know. Well, so. isn't it interesting too that your body knew what to do when becoming small? Yeah, that's it's. I mean, weird. that's that's like you know those are those instinctual things Instincts of like let me become small and protect all my big organs. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, my my body just knew. I saw. I mean, I remember looking at it, and then of course, like when it happens, you don't. You just kind of go through it, and then you wake up on the other side, like okay. You like you can't start to think like what happened, but the first, the second, I like approached it, it was so slow. Everything slowed down, and I was able to just do what I needed to do to come out of this alive. Mm. So that's my story. <laughs> it's really amazing. I mean, I think it's really good to recall these things. I mean, even just telling you my stories now because. I mean, I had some friends who said, you know, you're you're attaching a story to things. You got to let go of the story, blah, 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 blah. And I think what they mean was that the stories we attach to why we feel the way we feel, which is the story we tell ourselves of either being a victim or being da, 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 or whatever. But when we tell these stories of like, wow, this happened to me and I'm still alive. 
I like telling those stories because it helps remind us where we come from, what we've been through, you know, to give perspective of where we are now. Yeah. Like you just kind of forgot. You just kind of forgot that you're already a warrior. You know, I've been listening to this podcast of like, you know, reclaiming the divine feminine. Yeah. What is the divine feminine to you? Well, I don't. I don't she, really she know what. She pretty much what... just said, it's like, you know, you just need to remember that you're a goddess. Like, you know, that you are a channel for divine energy in the female form, and you're actually a goddess, like, in human form walking in this on this earth. And, you know, when you, when you take that seat, then everything rises to meet you. Because, and this is where we have to unlearn ourselves as women and men, because women have allowed patriarchy to... to perpetuate because we forgot who we are because if we start saying i'm not putting up with that and not even just like to like well, i'm gonna argue and fight with you about well, it but it's like i'm not actually even gonna give that any attention and it's any disenfranchised group yeah and i, and I mean that. and and that's tr exactly that's true and so i think you know i'm thinking about trump right and you know, during his election, I had to turn off. I mean, my parents listened to the news all the time, and I was living with them again at that time. Um, and I'm just like, you know, every even if you don't like him, you know, even if like you disagree with everything he has to say, if you know everything he has to say, if you know, like if you're paying attention yeah. to all the stupid shit that he does, then you are vibrating on that level as well. Meaning mm -hmm. that you're. You know, unless you're doing something to stop it, which nobody's doing, which nobody's so. doing, then you're repeating it. And so I was like, you know, the best way that I can combat the fucking bullshit of Trump is one by not paying attention to it. It's kind of like you know, an annoying child, or not even. I don't want to use that because that's rude to say like an annoying child. But you know, anything that is driving for attention in a negative way. It doesn't matter if you don't if you don't agree with it. You're still giving it attention. Mm -hmm. You're still giving it space inside of you. And he actively feeds off of that. Yeah, he, he does. Knows of course he does. That he like he doesn't have a filter. He doesn't care what he says. He just says things. He just rambles yeah, and because things can, yeah. just spew out of his mouth. And the more seriously you take it, the more offended you are of what he said, the better he feels. Yeah, the more like, he is satisfied with his work of the day because right. he wakes up every single day and is like, all right, how can I dominate the news cycle? How can I, how can I control the narrative? How can I stay relevant in people's minds? Because his, and I, I mean, that man's ego has to be off the charts, you know? Yeah. I so really, it's the divine feminine to me. Sorry to interrupt. No, but of course. The divine feminine to me is remembering and and this has to go back to what you're we saying about being in tune with nature ever since i was young and i i knew this intrinsically and i'm re-remembering it now is that the misalignment that we have both within the feminine and the masculine between the quote-unquote races which is really like a silly unfortunate thing not silly it's it's an extremely unfortunate thing um and dangerous and sadly tragic unjust way of uh separating people and, and dividing like, them and dividing them i mean i'm 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 absolutely of the of the of the belief that race is just a 
figment of our imagination. You know, it's it's the 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 difference genetically between blacks, Asians, and whites, or the like, African American, um, Native Americans, like the genetic difference is so negligible mm. that it's just a, it's literally just a physical difference that we a visual difference that we see within other people, mm. and that in no way diminishes the culture that well, each that's the thing, group has. We have but culture. You know, culture is a totally different thing. It's completely different than race because you can have, like I know, um, uh, Last Chance You. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. So it's a Netflix documentary series that follows junior colleges mm-hmm. and how they have like the most dominant junior college programs in the country because mm-hmm. they recruit all these like five star high school recruits that like got into drug problems mm. at Alabama and they got kicked out so they go to this JUCO to like try and revive their career so they can play in the NFL mm. and every kid who goes there has dreams of playing in the NFL and they're all fantastic athletes but they have all these off-field issues so this so this show documents this team that tries to come together over all these things to like win football games mm. and the coach of season three was this insane white dude from Compton and he grew up in the slums of Compton, and in the same, grew up poor. He grew up like this, like all this stuff. He had the same circumstances as every other black person in Compton, in the, in the, not good neighborhoods, like however you wanted to find that. And he is a part of, like he's, completely embedded in the culture of, that of like what, um, gang life Compton is like. Where and he can't remove himself from that, and and it, and it's interesting to me also that even in that, he does have more privilege because of the skin. Yeah, he does have more privilege. But he's the same we, type we, of person as created... a, a black guy who would come in there. He's just, he's the same. It's the same. They that environment creates the same person. I understand. Yeah, yeah. And, and and well, that's what it's, is and, so it's interesting a, about the arbitrariness of of color. Yeah, it's an unfortunateness. It's just purely the way certain neighborhoods aligned up is like and there's also systemic racism that was involved like black people literally couldn't buy homes in certain neighborhoods in baltimore yeah that's, this is a legislation that was written that is for real 100 systemic true. racism you yeah know? exactly but i i mean for me if i had to come up with a way to help this problem is to build up the black communities so they are on the same level as the white communities because it's not it's not a difference in race, it's a difference in environment. And well, and also access to things. Access so to allowing things. things, yeah, of course. Like, I mean, so, like, that's, and I think that's what people are fighting for right now, you know, and that's, that's completely justified, like, not just justified, but that's, like, in what we should be doing, you know, to realize that there was, like, things written within the system that mm-hmm. were illegal, or that weren't illegal, that should have been illegal, but that were systemically put, put made in, like so they that. were allowed you know, you know yeah. and we have a yeah. president who's like like just He's, racist and he he like laughs about it you know and so i just think to myself like to get back to the original question of like what the divine feminine is and there's this just there's an imbalance in a lot of things and one of them is this need to control things and i mean because that kind of that kind of like even like cultural 
systems. Yeah. Happens all over the world. Of I course. mean, like Palestinians, Israelis, that's a really big one. Yeah, that's not something you, know? you ever hear about in America, but it's 10 times worse over there. You know, we have we 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 complain so much about the things that are so bad in like in American cities and America, but America even right now with everything that's going on is still the greatest country that has ever existed. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I, I agree with that because this is why. Because America was the first time in human history that every people came from all over the world to one place for the sole purpose of living how they want to live, living free. And we created, our founding fathers were, fathers were absolutely brilliant in, how, in the way they created our um, constitution and our government and but there I still are think it's full it. of hypocrisy. It's full of hypocrisy. I mean, you want to talk about building a nation on a dream, but leaving out two-thirds of the nation. Like, yes, oh, that's yeah. a great idea. And actually, it, it is cool that we can't amend and amend and amend and amend. And I think right now we're pushing through some really big, you know, like, ignorances. And like, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, people have been poised to benefit from the system and others not yes and we are poised like certain people have been poised to benefit from a system that feeds and preys on the others mm -hmm. now going back to the original thing of like no one is a, a victim a victim is to think outside of the system you know to think That's outside where I am right now. and like and to be like okay like we do have systemic things that we need to change and so for me personally because I can't speak for the black community like I've, I've worked, lived, and loved among many black communities in my life. I've learned a lot. I've been humbled. I've, you know, like all sorts of things. But the thing that I feel most empowered by is speaking, you know, like I, as a woman, right? As a woman who sees like I'm connected to what we do to the earth. Now, all of the things that are in a vibration of like where Trump is, all of the things that are in a vibration of division, all of the things that are in the vibration of like, we want to keep things separate, we want to keep things down, we want to keep this linear hierarchy moving like this, when everything in the feminine perspective, now we have an imbalance of the masculine and feminine, and what I mean by that is the masculine energy, and it's needed, it's totally needed, it's not a bad thing, a very linear energy it's a very step-by-step -step energy it's a powerful almost controlling energy like it, I would it's, agree a, with that. it's ascending energy like I mean that's why you have a penis that's why you ejaculate like all of that is symbolic okay the feminine is circular okay so it's represented by a circle and it's represented by receiving being open now imagine if the earth was not receptive nothing would grow <laughs> nothing would grow you would put up seed in the ground and she'd be like no i'm not receptive i'm gonna try to control this blah blah blah, blah. it's like no the seed she, she allows yeah she she's a womb mm. things grow yeah. you know yeah. like so th what i'm saying is that we we've lost we've forgotten as a whole and there's i'm not saying everybody but you know there's a there's a obviously not everybody i don't want to speak for everybody what do i know i'm just one person but um just we we were learning how to rebalance the energies both within ourselves and in our world and no one who is truly connected to earth to mother to um 
the sacredness, the cyclical aspect of nature. Nature works in a cycle, yeah. not a line, you know? Even time, like, we're discovering time is not linear, right? So let me just finish my point before you interrupt me. Um, that being said, that we're all relearning. Everybody has this kind of great reconciliation. Some are maybe in different stages of it, of remembering who we are and where we come from. And a lot of that has to do with reclaiming the feminine aspect of things, like the yin energy, they call it, right? And so I kind of made this point the other day to my friend, my friend, I was like, everybody said the future's female, right? And I'm like, but they didn't know that it was gonna be like yin energy, right? And what I mean by yin energy is like, more passive, more like less doing, more receiving, more being, more, you know, existing as opposed to controlling or producing. So that as a whole, hmm. as a whole is affecting our country, the planet. All industry yeah. is changing. Almost all, I mean, yeah. least what I understand. Yeah. Most industry is changing. It and I laughed, to. I laughed about it because I was like, this is, that's why like the dark forces are so, the evil forces, because not all dark things are bad. Um, the evil forces, whatever, on this planet, the, the dementors, the, you know, the, the things that can get stuck in your energy field, that's why they're so loud right now. They're really loud because they're in their, like, they're, like, in a throwdown, okay? Light is winning, and it's kind of like you have an, a choice. It's like, and I have to wrestle with this with myself, too, of do you accept how things are, receive, meditate, dream, move forward, think the impossible, and then believe in the impossible and don't let your energy get distracted into, you know, like, oh, boo-hoo-hoo, the old system's falling apart. Some of us are like, I think it we've needs been to. waiting, we've been waiting for the system <laughs> to fall apart. Excuse me, you know? I mean, we just I, didn't know it was going to look like that, but okay. I like, completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to right now. Well, it, yeah, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, just the state of our planet, like, I think it was like two or three years ago when the volcanoes were happening in Hawaii. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, that's just Hawaii coming back and saying like, y'all need to stop. Yeah, like chill. Like you're chill. you're on my land. Yeah. This, not, this is don't forget exactly. Don't yeah. forget who you belong to. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I honestly it was really interesting that energy because that's like Mama Pele, right? The that's the the goddess of the volcano. Hmm. And that was right before. I think it was right before or maybe shortly after the um the rise of the 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 um me too movement right so that was like okay there's all these women that are waking up female embodied women but not only female embodied women but like this imbalance you know that we're like hey we can't ignore this anymore you know we can't ignore that like you know people are still treated less than the earth is still treated less than we still pillage um, you know, we're like, we're not treating ourselves with respect. Yeah. And I mean that as a whole, Yeah. you know, and we're not thinking of life in the future. We're not respecting it now. And that was like this surge of rage and roaring, you know, cause women, I wasn't really in the country at the time or I was kind of in my own space so much that I wasn't externally involved in that movement. But from what I understand, I mean, there was just a lot of female rage into with, like like with the black community yeah now too um, like you, are you referring to the, the protests that happened a few years ago with um the women's rights oh movement. the women's yeah, yeah yeah okay 
and yeah. yeah and I mean what's interesting about that as well and this was this was a really nice podcast that I had heard I think it was um on being I was listening to a podcast on being and I don't remember who was talking but they said that you know with like a with a racial movement it's easy to delineate okay that person's white that person's black like you know we have to have these conversations with white people etc cetera, etc cetera. and obviously that's a complicated conversation there's a lot of things that get exposed like you have to face your own prejudices like everything she said with the women's rights movement with with fem with women i loved this point she said you know a lot of these conversations have to do with our very intimate relationships our relationships with our fathers our relationships with our brothers our relationships with every man in our life like every man yeah. in our life like who are we in relation to the men in our life what are we putting up with etc cetera, etc cetera. she was I, I don't remember what so you know and it was like it was such a she's like it's such a deeply psychological um, I mean as any trauma is but um, and it was a movement in the country of, you know, really thinking about, like, how do we not only heal the feminine, but also heal the wounded masculine? Because only a wounded person could do what the cop did to George Floyd. Only a super wounded person would accept... I mean, I just don't understand how you can accept Trump as he is. Like, I don't get it. Like, he's a, like, whatever. If you're an objective thinker, then you disapprove of the way he has handled the country. If, I mean, it's it's no longer arguable that, objectively speaking, objectively. he should not be president. Like, if, and if you still are, then you're in complete <laughs> denial. You know, and I know some people who still are. Like, they're diehard Trumpers and, like, that amazes me. I, I, I kind of, I wonder, and this is the first question that I ask myself when I come in contact with not just people who are diehard Trumpers, but anybody who Trumpers tolerates it. Tolerates those kind of. I was like, what is wounded in yeah, you? Yeah, because what um, what is so hurt in you that you are like full of rage and anger and supporting something that supports rage and anger? Yeah, that brings me back. <laughs> yeah, that brings me back to a thing you said like an hour ago with uh, when you like when you project negative energy then you're something like receiving or you like you're setting yourself up for negative situations mm. and you, you use driving as the good the example of mm. that and how people have used driving as an outlet for their anger mm. but when recently whenever i get in a situation where someone lashes out or is is just angry for whatever reason i don't i've started to check myself and to realize Getting angry only escalates the anger and the potential for violence and the situation itself. And I, if you can stop and like, all right, like, why the hell are you so angry? Like, I, I literally just walked next to you or like, I, whatever the thing is that like sets the person off, like, why did that set you off? Like, what has been going on in your life that this small, insignificant like scenario just ticked you off so much like like driving is a perfect example of it because mm. everybody is holding in pent up anger and it's so easy to honk your horn or to flip some guy off out the window and release that tiny little bit and yeah, what I've been doing recently you're eating it and you're feeding it yeah you know? and instead of flipping people off I'll give them a thumbs up <laughs> just like a little sarcastic like 
Oh, you should be driving. Job. Good mm-hmm. job. And you're like, sorry, hi. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, and that's three things I'll say to that. One, that's an exploration into a culture of wounded trauma, mm-hmm. how we're not doing, you know, expressing that. Two, it's the wounded masculine, the unhealed, the toxic masculinity. And I don't mean this to say, like, toxic men. I just mean that the, the toxic energy of masculine is aggressive. Yeah which is really useful in certain situations when you're like, I need to protect. It's, it's you know, there for a I reason. Need, yeah, like I need to protect my family from this tiger that's like, you know, like invading <laughs> the, the camp or the whatever. Village. That's good. I want my warrior on my side yeah. for that, you know? But we don't ha- we don't live in those situations anymore. So those type of people who have those outlets have no way of releasing that anger. Right. And so, you know, like it's it turns into the negative as a positive. You know, mm-hmm. you, think you could become... You could become a martial artist. Oops, excuse me. A martial artist, you know, which like you could harness your ability to heal and kill, you know, or at least to kill, into such control that like your body is like a living example of the power that you yeah. represent as a man. Mm-hmm. Your body is that, yeah. you know? And the third thing I'll say is that like when I started driving again after having biked all the time, I became such an unhappy, angry person. And I was like, because I used to bike all the time. And, you know, for someone like me who had grown up having so much energy. And I mean, I was a young girl who would climb to the top of trees. I was would rollerblade. I would play roller hockey. And I was super feminine, too. I mean, I like played with my dolls and like, you know, dreamt imaginatively. But I was an active, wild girl, you know, and that energy then turned inward. It became self-hate because I wasn't allowed to have this like powerful external feminine energy so when I was biking I was channeling all that so that when I would show up to places I was just at peace I mean when we showed up to (laughs) yoga the other day she drove her bike or rode her bike up to the hill to do some yoga in the park with me and you got there after riding your bike for like however long and you're like man I'm so happy ready to go like feel so good feel so loose feel like just yeah because you know i had made it up to the top of the hill and you know that was one thing one thing that i noticed and and i I think i have to go soon but um one thing that i noticed about my own transformation as a woman my own power reclaiming my wildness reclaiming my power was um i didn't believe that i could do certain things or i had forgotten that i could and so when you overcome physical goals especially even Mm, just like like biking up a mountain and you begin to feel yourself as strong you begin to feel yourself as strong and and it's 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 good to like stay you know strong and supple in the body but we don't we don't necessarily operate like men do you know we have to we're we're meant to be softer we're meant to be more supple we know and um and to remember that like embodying our strength feminine strength um and this is not to exclude transgender or anything like that that's like however you relate to like your own energy strength needs to be defined within your own self so however you define yourself to be strong if doing if painting makes you feel strong if fighting makes you feel strong then learn how to fight learn how to paint like Strength is something that comes within you, mm-hmm. and it's it shouldn't be defined for how somebody else defines strength. Like, mm-hmm. 
being on a football team was really unique with going back to the masculine part of that was there ice there's 90 guys on a football team so there's room for all types of men and there are definitely those toxic masculinity like fall into the stereotype football player asshole on the team Mm -hmm. and then there's the perfect leader the the coaches the coach's kid the 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 guy who can squat 600 pounds you know like to him that's strength Mm -hmm. you know to me strength is kicking a 60 yard field goal Mm -hmm. like it's it's defined so differently and to me it's making through nights of demon attacks (laughs) not just that yeah but you know like damn you're like and not just nights i mean this is months and months and months months of like demon attacks yeah but getting to the top of that hill on my bike just reminded me that like you know it's it's a physical exertion of what you know yourself to be on the inside yeah you know and so that's when you begin to understand especially when you move it into the body you know, whether you dance or do yoga or whatever it is that you do, ski, bike, like whatever, when you move that energy into the body, even if it's just subtle and it's not like super aggressive, you begin to understand that like when you externalize that strength, all of the limits that you've ever had are truly mental. Like they truly, truly, truly are mental. And all you have to do is condition your body to be able to be receptive to the power that already lays within you, you know? And you don't even know what you're capable of until you start conditioning yourself to be that. And that's what I, the point I wanted to make about with women is like, I've seen so many women that don't, they don't know how powerful maybe they really can be because, you know, maybe they're like holding so much together, but they think they're failing at it because they're not doing it perfectly or there's all these like expectations. And I'm like, you know, if you even trained your body a little bit to realize how powerful you could be, you would feel that way within yourself, you know? And so one of the future things, the thing that I'm working on now, I'm not just working on, but like being conscious of now is how to heal trauma through the body, meaning how do we re-empower our spirit, our soul, through drawing, like what we practiced yesterday in the park of like being conscious of our energy, being conscious of where our chi is, right? And then extending that into the body and using the body to to exhibit what strength already is within us, right? And we just train it, and, you know, et cetera. So, and that's just my feeling towards women is like, we just either haven't given ourselves or haven't been given, or we didn't know that we should take it. This idea that you too can be strong yeah you are strong everybody you are deserving (laughs) you know like sorry for anything that like whoever told you differently or told you whatever these are all Um, full of shit it is everyone who like people try to put others down like jealousy 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 yep that's a bitch of an emotion i'm 35 years old now i feel like i look older i feel like i look a little bit more beaten up than i used to you know, and I had to grieve these moments of feeling like the best years of my life were taken. I lived them, but I struggled through them because I was believing all the bullshit that people told about me, particularly broken men that I would attract because I don't know, like either I was partially broken or they were attracted to my love and my wholeness. And I was like, fuck, you know, like I spent 15 years just feeling shitty and not just always feeling shitty, but not truly embodying myself and completely loving myself and i'm like okay colleen like it's enough 
it's enough, okay? Like, you were always worthy. You were always good enough. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that when you turned into a teenager or a young 20s person that everything in the world told you you weren't. It took me 12 years to finish college, you know, like in and out, failing, because I have a different type of brain, whatever. So I looked in the mirror and I was like, it doesn't matter. You have more gray hair. You have more wrinkles now. Fuck it. Fuck it. That's not to say that I don't want one of those uh, those things that are like the, what are they called? The microderm abrasions that like smooth out your skin. I do want that. And I don't care if it's slightly, what do you say, vain. I just want nice skin. So I will say that like, I'm not, I'm not above being vain in some no, ways. nobody is. But it's like, I'm doing it in a way that's like, you know what, I want to take care of myself now. I know that the wrinkles don't matter. I know that the gray hair doesn't matter. It's like I earned that shit. But I, I also want to take the best care of myself as possible because I spent too many mm -hmm. years in bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would look at those as just um, not necessarily scars is the wrong world, mm. but like marks of experience. And uh, marks of experience. Yeah, like so Tulsi <laughs> Gabbard, do you know who that is? No. So she was a presidential candidate mm. um, for the Democrats, and she did two tours of duty duty in Iraq. She's a veteran as well. Wow. She's the senator of Hawaii or something. Interesting. And uh, she has this streak of gray hair um, along. She's like dark black hair, but she's just got one like layer of gray. And she had this story about where it came from. It had just something to do with mm. when she was in Iraq. But she wears it like a badge of honor. Mm. And is, yeah, I have gray hair. But I have that too. I have this, that Yeah. And I've got like a, it's hard to come up now, but like a little patch right here that gets really blonde. Mm. And, I, mean, uh, I interrupted you. You said this, this is. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, she wears it like a, like a badge of honor. How like she, she's proud. It's not like in any way diminishing her features as a woman because she has some gray hair it's it represents this thing that she went through and she mm. overcame mm. and she's a better person now because of it mm. and yes. I really like that message because you, you can look at the things the quote-unquote flaws about your physical appearance and you could feel bad about them or mm -hmm. you could wear them as a badge of honor and I'm gonna I'm gonna like you know shout out to my friend Jasenia because um, we talk about how we do this, sometimes we do this mirror work and we'll like talk to ourselves in the mirror. And some of the other spiritual work I do too is like to pretend like you're your best friend. Like whatever it is that you want, you can give it to yourself. Imagine that there's somebody else giving it to yourself. Okay. So just Sunny and I talk, like we're like, yeah, we do this mirror work and we say like the thoughts that you're telling yourself actually become you. So if you can look in the mirror and actually talk yourself into like be feeling beautiful, you will look more beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what no, I mean? Like, I've, you I've literally will. It's like, like, I have the gray hair, but I look amazing. I've done that to myself in the mirror, too. Like, I'll, I'll look at myself in the mirror and be like, damn, you're fucking hot as shit, boy. Damn, let's go. And then other days, I'll look in the mirror and like, fuck, you're ugly. You're just, ugh, gross. You know, it's just those contrasts. But it's the soul that shines, you yeah. know? It doesn't matter what the body suit It doesn't matter like. what my mustache is looking like now. It's mm -hmm. pretty fly right now, not gonna lie, but... but I wear I think, this as a badge of honor. I think that that's... Maybe. I don't know. It's just, it's like, you know, when you can... Yeah, so I just... That's a shout-out to women. You're like, you know what? Just <sighs> love and honor yourself. And I mean that with, like, a lot of deep respect. And, yeah. Um, that's the wave I've been trying to get on recently. 
love, honor, deep, like deep respect for myself and others as humans and, and this life in general. Like, and there's ceremony you can do every day, you know, and those are, those are some of, so a couple more things I'll offer you before I have to go. Um, another dream that I had in Colombia, and this was when I got out to Hardin and I was like, my, it was very clear. Um, I dreamt about this mother of darkness and she wasn't evil. She was just like the night sky. She was like flying through the sky. She had a cloak. Night. Yeah, she was like Mother Night. And she told me, she's like, I know you're really upset about what's going on in the world right now, especially what's happening to the planet. She's like, if you just bless the water, everything's going to be fine. Just bless the water. And there's studies that are done that when you bless water, when you speak intention into water, the water molecules will actually change. Right? So when there's you're been talking... studies done for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. Wow. I don't remember. It was a Japanese... I don't remember his name, Sakimoto, I don't remember what his name is, so pardon me for, um, but I remember first finding it, it was first um, mentioned to me in the in the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, which was like from, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, um, but, and that's a whole other conversation, but that's something that, you know, when you say about respecting who you are, what you are, and like revering life, one of the simplest things you can do and this is what I try to do all the time even if I like get angry and I drive angrily sometimes like okay I forgot I wasn't being mindful you know whatever um and I'm not I don't really drive angrily but one thing you can do anytime you have water you speak your intention into it you say thank you because the water that we drink is the water that's been around since the beginning of time it's part of the stars it's been had and drank by every yep. single, yeah. every single uh, sentient creature, sentient being that has ever lived on Earth since the beginning of time mm-hmm. has participated and drank the same water that you are drinking now, just recycled. It's the blood of the Earth, right? So, and it's fresh. So, mm-hmm. if you think about that, you are participating in an ancient sacred ceremony every time you drink water. Wow. Okay. I, I knew that this was... I heard a joke one time that I'm drinking Abraham Lincoln's pee. <laughs> Fish pee. Yeah. You know? And that... I've never... I like. I feel like everybody knows that, but like nobody knows that. Nobody... Like you don't realize it. Well, it's not a... It, it's not like knowing or not knowing, but like it's not something you ever think about. It's just water. And like, that's... Where's this water been? I don't know. That's weird, the mindfulness weird. that you can bring to things. That's how you read... That's how you make things sacred again. That's what mindfulness is to me too, mm-hmm. and I've really enjoyed um, practicing it in the mm-hmm. last few months. That's beautiful. Yeah. The second thing that I encourage anyone to do is anytime you eat, not just to say prayers over the food and thanks God. Think about everything that had to happen for you to have that bowl of food that plate of food, whatever it is, right? So from the ground that it was grown in, the rain that came and nourished it, the people who planted it, the families of the people who planted it, the families of the people who picked it, the families of the people who looked over it, um, you know, and this is if you're eating mostly plants, um, the people who picked it, the people who packaged it, the people who moved it, the people who received it, the people who prepared it if you're eating out, you know? 
all of these hands that it goes through, right, to create for you this dish. Yeah. And a lot of the times that, especially as Americans, like... We've lost it. Not only we... It's not just that we've lost it, but we're literally participating in a global system of where our food comes from that we forget sometimes because we're at this certain place in the chain of like, well, you know, how connected are we to where our food comes from, right? Same with animals. Like, anytime I eat an animal, which is not very often, I used to be a vegan, um, and over this past winter I started eating a little bit of meat, but you think about, okay, the animal was born, the animal was fed, the animal grew, whether it had good conditions or bad conditions, whether it was free or not, happy or not, you're taking in everything that that animal is. So if that animal was happy in its life, you're taking in good hormones. If that animal was killed properly, you're taking in like, not. and what I mean by properly is like without a lot of ethically, without a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. like most of our our meat industry is like applorable, implorable? Deplorable. Deplorable. (laughs) It's like plorable. That's Um, So, you know, and you think like that's the stuff that you take in. So when we look at like anger, right? All this repressed anger, we're literally eating food that feeds the anger within us. Okay, and if we're eating it without consciousness and we're eating it not mindfully, we're just participating in that system. Mm -hmm. So no matter what meat you're eating, whatever you're doing, if you can bring consciousness to it, if you think about it like, okay, Jesus turned water to wine, okay? Meaning that we have the power to bless things. You know, to be like Jesus is to like, well, there's a lot of things to be like Jesus, but I use that just to say that like, you can bless your water, bring mindfulness to it. Right, bring mindfulness to your food, and you know that's what he was doing, like bringing mindfulness to things. And when you start to do that, everything about you changes. Yeah. Because you start to understand the huge web in which you exist within, right? Yeah. And that you know, without all these pieces that you're connected to, you wouldn't be who you are or where you are. Yeah. And, definitely. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Back uh, with the food, when I mentioned that we've lost it, mm-hmm. the American culture has lost this sense and touch of where our food came from. We have such easy access to so much that its meaning is so diminished. Right. And back in the day when we were, every meal meant something, mm-hmm. you know, we, like, you really had to fight for your meal. You really had to work to to get the opportunity to eat. Mm-hmm. Now I could drive down this street that's like a block away and find five different places where I could get some food. If you had the money to get it. And if, if and if you had, mm-hmm. obviously that, okay, sorry, that's sort of like a given part of like the American economy and the capitalism Well, for stuff. me right now, I can't. <laughs> yeah, and I just say that to be like, you know, it, it changes my perspective even more of like whatever I eat, I have to either prepare myself mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, like I, yeah. it, it's less accessible because I cannot eat out. Okay. So it's just another level, but yeah. it's I mean, that's true. just where I am. No, you know, I know. I mean, are, so. it's, um, it's just bringing awareness to that as well. Yeah. Of like, yeah, you can, it's so easily accessible. Like, I'm just going to eat, like I'm on the run. I'm not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, when I was in college, I used to spend two hours in the dining hall at dinner time, and I would literally go through three different rounds of people that would come in and out because I would sit there with my food and eat really slowly and communicate with people yeah. because out of the whole day, meal time was the time to really communicate and mm-hmm. like engage with people. Yeah. 
and I was like, I'm just gonna sit here for a while and just be like, I'm gonna have this food and then I'm gonna sit a little longer and then I'm gonna eat this food and I'm gonna sit a little longer. And I learned that Europeans take longer with their meal times, whereas like in America you get like 30 minutes for lunch. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I waited in line for 15 minutes, now I have 15 minutes to eat. And then it Fucking takes 10 minutes to get bullshit. back to your office. Exactly, you know? And so yeah. you're just like, it, it, it's a system set up so that you're not conscious. Yeah. And to be mindful of that. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, we At school, we had um, our dining halls, Kimball, and we had a name for them. But at, at Kimball, there's like one or two tables that are like football tables mm. where all the football guys always sit. And every single day, you can find at least three or four guys that are going to be there. One of these four guys are just always at Kimball because they rotate through, like, class ends this, like, this group of football guys will come to dinner, come eat lunch, and then they got to go class, and then this other group will come. So they're just, it's this constant cycle of football players rotating through this, the table. And there's always a few guys that are there for hours mm. because they just, like, sit there and eat, eat something and hang out with the guys that come. Mm. They leave, the next group comes, and they're just chilling. Like, and these are all like they're always really good dudes too. Mm-hmm. And I always like it's it's comforting to be able to go to lunch and know that a few guys that you can count on, they're good guys, are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And you always can have someone to like talk to during lunch. Mm-hmm. And it's just so nice to remember what's important. I mean, human connection, like that's something we can't really get in other planes. You know, like. That's a that's yeah. a gift of our of our our dimension is that you know we uh, we have all these abilities as humans. We can communicate with one another, connect, and yeah, um, on a level that I mean you know maybe if we move into other dimensions we'll connect with each other in different ways. I mean I think that telepathic communication you know more starting Musk's to realize Elon Musk's Neuralink yeah. we're gonna speak without words. In five years. And that already happens, you know? I mean, that's... If you actually pay attention to animals and babies, you realize that that's been going on oh, for yeah, a long yeah. time. Um, with, with Henry, I mean, <laughs> he'll, like, point at something in, like, a certain way. I'm like, oh, he wants some water. And I'll give him some water. Yeah. Or he's pointing at... Or he'll, like, do whatever he does. And I just unconsciously, like, at first, I mean, I, like, what the hell do you want? Like, this is flesh of, like, you know, vulnerability that, like, mm-hmm. I have to protect. And now... Now that I know him a lot better, you can, just, you can I, intuit him. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know kind of what he wants, and that's I think that's really beautiful. cool. And and I think what's funny about someone like Elon Musk saying we're gonna like communicate with our words in five years, it's like some of us have been like, duh, <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah. What do you think we've been doing this whole time? There's a whole other plane of existence that is like, someone told me that 4D, like 3D is our reality. 4D is the the energy of emotions because all emotions like emit energy. Okay. And then 5D is kind of like where we're, you know, we're communicating um, telepathically, I guess, in some ways. But, body language. Um, body language. Well, that's still in the 3D, but your ability to interpret clearly the body language is part of like those other dimensional yeah. things, right? When we realize that we're more than just the body, yeah. when we realize we're more than just the mind, you know, that we're like this field of energy and that when you are open, you can receive and communicate with that energy and then you can actually communicate with things that aren't human, <laughs> like the angels that come and save you, you know? Like yeah. some people actually see them or the dreams that you have that become prophetic dreams and you're like, where the fuck did that come from? 
You know what I mean? But it was guiding me and leading me yeah. to finding my other earring. And even though it led me back to Pittsburgh, it like took me on this really deep journey of self-discovery, of really living the ideas that I were just in my mind. You know, because there's levels of there's levels of development, there's stages of awakening, there's stages of growth and you know, sometimes we have to like go through these incredibly turbulent, chaotic times in order for us to understand what's actually true, right? Yeah. Um, even though the knowledge is always there, like it's always there. It's always there. And, <laughs> you um, know, we've. I feel like to embody it is a whole different story. Yeah. In, in the in the human history, we have a hundred thousand years where there's no written history, so mm-hmm. we don't know what the hell was going on. But anatomically, we were the same. Mm-hmm. Homo sapiens have been around for so much longer than we think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that just makes me think of, like, how if we can somehow elevate past this physical realm, then we can communicate with what was happening before mm-hmm. um, modern civilization was born. Mm-hmm. And I think, I personally think that we've, that humans have had multiple attempts at establishing a civilization mm-hmm. and every time something held us back a little bit and the last one that i've gotten really into was uh, twelve thousand five hundred years ago ish there was this big cataclysmic event that um created a, a flash flood of the entire world and the sea level rose three to four hundred feet within a matter of like instantaneously in terms of like earth's timeline Mm -hmm. and it just wiped out everything Mm -hmm. and people had to restart so are you sure it wasn't 13,000 years ago 13,000 every 13,000 years they say that there's a kali yuga and we're we're well we're in the kali yuga right now kali yuga and that's like a big transformational change also i don't know enough about it to speak um in depth but it's kind of like we go through these cycles of Mm -hmm. evolution and we're in like a really big one right now um like like a crossroads right as a as a civilization it's like evolve or die <laughs> you That's, know I feel and, like every day i constantly am conflicted with this question of like okay what like is society gonna destroy itself today because i feel like the especially now the fragility of our civilization is so fragile mm. fragility is so fragile <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. um I think some of it is fragile for sure, you know, but that just means that those things are breaking apart for like, you know, more Something stabilizing things yeah. to, to, to emerge, to emerge and more, it, more balanced things. I mean, the indigenous people of the world have been saying it since forever, like, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and there's, there's the prophecy of the rainbow warriors, which they said, I think it was, they said the 13th generation, which I believe is what we're now. And don't quote me on if it's the 13th, but I think it was like 13th or 14th I generation. I wouldn't have anything to quote you against, so. And it was, at least the natives here in the U.S. said, you know, the, there's going to be a, a generation of rainbow warriors, meaning that they're going to come from every walk of earth, every color, and they are going to be part of creating the new world. Wow. And because they 13 are... 13 generations. Yeah, from where they were. Like, that was the, the prophecy. And... Um, and I believe that that's where we are now too, because there are so many people waking up. It's like it doesn't matter if you remember who you are, if you remember like where you come from, on a really, really, really deep level. You know, like, okay, I'm made of stardust. I'm from the stars. I'm also an earth dweller, so I come from the earth. 
you know, like maybe my seed came from the star, but it was planted in this, this Terra. Yeah. Right. And therefore I'm not separate from the environment that's around me. I'm not separate from the earth around me. And if I'm open to it enough and I'm big enough, I'm going to feel the imbalance of the world within my body. And the more that I work to balance that within myself, the more I become a balanced person in the world to then ripple that out. And if everybody does that, like, wow, you know, like all of a sudden we're like, we're living in a new earth. The world's a better place. I mean, it it could happen overnight, you know, like it's it's possible. I'm not saying it will. I mean, if it happened overnight, it would be like major destruction, (laughs) you know? Um, And, you know, I live in a, tiny little pocket of the world where it's like just let me live in a tree and you know i, I want some modern modern things but i don't need a lot of yeah, that yeah, right yeah. um the sorry go ahead no no i just I, that being said i can't speak for everyone obviously but i do know that you know we're we just have major changes afoot and we're kind of like at least in the u.s you know there's a is a great unveiling right now and and that's where we are and it's kind of like you can look at it two ways you can be really afraid or you can be excited i'm excited yeah yeah um the 13 generation thing Mm -hmm. i don't know if the math works out but when i mentioned earlier how america is what it is and the founding fathers were this group of geniuses that created a um a government that could flourish and whatever like what it it became america like what it is today like well, they founded democracy. Yeah, democracy. Yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. But is that thirteen generations away from where we are now? Has it been thirteen generations? I'm not sure, I don't know. Because if that would be, because I think that we're on the cusp of a new set, a new generation of founding fathers to reset American democracy. And mothers. Sorry, founding parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. <laughs> we're just it's just the term. It's just I know, term. Yeah. I know, but we're like just remember that like all yes, all and words women have to be a vibration. part of this. Like I, I'm fully of the belief that if we want, um, like the whole, there's this, there's a talk about like the the abortion side of like whether or not it's women's right to choose and like having feminine products in schools to support um little like girls who have their first period and are too embarrassed to go to school so they can't, so they can't learn because of this feminine thing that's happening to them. And I feel like we should just put the women in charge of how to do that. Like, men have no idea what's going on. So Thank what you. right do we have to, to say, have any say in what, what you guys do? Like, they just, it's just intuitively what makes sense. Thank you. And, and, like, the women are also the ones that are giving birth to you. So I just think <laughs> just to say that, you know, like... Yeah. You know, I mean, a woman's body created you. I mean, a, a man's seed, but a woman's body grew you. Yeah. You know, so I totally agree. It's like, get it's, your it's not, fucking hands it's not out our, of it. It's not our place to have any say in how you, because we don't know what you're going through. So how could we, what, I, it, yeah, it just, there's no, it doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. And, and that goes back to like this idea that, you know, the, the, the toxic patriarchy wants to control women, wants to control the earth. I mean, think about the words that we use, rape, pillage, drill, drain, you know, like we're we're extracting oil out of the ground, we're mining coal out of the ground, you know, like all this stuff. And it's like, if you would have just left that there, you would have some diamonds and, you know, like yeah. you leave some diamonds for the future generations. And, and I just, I don't know, maybe I'm, I was told once by a, a psychiatric doctor that I was too idealistic. They wanted to commit me. 
commit you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been like... What does that mean? They wanted to like put me into the mental institution. Oh, shit. Because I was crying a lot. Yeah. And I was okay. like, um, how many women do you know? Like, fuck you. But one of the things he told me was uh, that, you know, one day you're going to go up and you're going to realize, like, you know, he was, I don't know, some sort of Eastern European Russian doctor who was just like, I know everything. And he's like, you're going to go up and realize that, you know, you're too much of an idealist and blah, 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 blah. And I remember thinking, yeah, John Lennon was an idealist, too. And he wasn't the only one. So fuck you. And, you know, like, excuse me if I'm kind of already advanced when it comes to how I look at my own mental health. Because when you go into hospitals like that, they want to tell you that you don't know what's best for you, that you don't know what's going on with you. They abdicate your own power. And this has happened to women a lot, like especially women like they used to call it hysteria yeah um horniness is hysteria well not only that but when women would have their um when they would uh no uh when they would move into menopause and their hormones would change um they would call that hysteria as well or whatever and that's why they call removing the uterus a hysterectomy that's where it comes from like the same same to remove the hysteria Something like that, yeah. Wow. And so That's they so used to, like, I mean, just all sorts of crazy shit that they would yeah. do. Give women lobotomies. Like, literally stick a fucking, you know, like, yeah. knife up through your eye to scramble your frontal lobe because they thought that somehow that was going to, like, improve. Yeah. And I just said, you know what that is? That is the wild nature of women that has been suppressed, that is coming roaring back, just like those mm-hmm. fucking volcanoes in Hawaii. Is like, you cannot repress me. You know, and so God bless all the women that had to put up with not just take toxic patriarchy, but like deadly. I mean, it's still deadly. Literally deadly, yeah. You know, and it's still deadly. I mean, that cop, that was deadly shit, you know? I mean, killed someone. So, and that's what we're undoing. You know, Mm -hmm. we're undoing that and it comes from remembering who you are, remembering what your place is. And I think that that's exactly what you said is like, what right do men have to make any decision about a woman's body? Like, honestly. Because I don't have any idea what's... Like, I, you can take as many anatomy classes as you want, but it's the same thing as racism. Like, you don't know what it's like to be a black man unless mm-hmm. you've... If, unless, unless you're a black man. Yeah, or a know? trans person. Or any demographic you want to you wanna put. So, mm-hmm. realizing that in the last few years has, like, fundamentally changed mm-hmm. the way I look at life. I think most people need to wake up in that way. I mean, a lot of... We need to consistently wake up. And, um... Con- continuously having the conversations that mm. break down the bias and the exactly. ignorance and yeah. communicating healthy ways of living totally. and, and reconnecting with who we used to be. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but I've really been on the last few months, like trying to reconnect with who we were hundreds of thousands of years ago mm. or thousands of years, like just there's so much that I think Western civilization has done that is so great. Put people on the moon, given us cell phones, modern medicine, saves lives every day. But that creates an arrogance about you. Like you think you can fix everything. You think you can. Hubris. Hubris. It's one of, it's my favorite ancient Greek um, flaw. Mm. Hubris. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's true. And I think, you know, we're definitely a part of the Western world. I mean, I've found myself having, you know, been a, perpetuator of those in, in my own ways so how much what time are we at it's 210 wow we should probably go yeah you can just edit the last parts out <laughs> are you gonna edit no. it um i usually don't touch it but 
you know okay. it is what it is so um, we'll, wrap well let's here. yeah let's wrap up and um this is a great conversation yeah, it I'm, was better than i thought <laughs> great i i can't thank you enough for doing this and i really appreciate it um this is exactly why i wanted to start a podcast is to mm-hmm. the f- second i met you and the first conversation we had you were like the number one person i had in my mind to get Aww. you on get on here because like you're such a unique individual mm-hmm. in terms of what i've experienced so far and i really wanted to hear more about what you have to say because mm-hmm. you you clearly you talked for a while like you have things to say and yeah. i'm more than happy to, say, to yeah. listen to no them, thanks and i appreciate know? the the platform um and that's something that i have to step up into in my own power is like valuing my opinion valuing my experience valuing my own voice because mm-hmm. actually and this is like one of the la- you know the last things i'll say is having spent a lot of time in communities that were not white i kept quiet a lot because i was really trying to make space in my privilege as a white person um white person uh to give space to those who didn't right and what i also recognized was that i was not taking up enough space i wasn't taking up space at all and i i didn't value my opinion i didn't value my stories etc etc so this is actually inspiring me to be like i have things to share i'm more than happy to give you the platform to (laughs) share what you have to say you know i mean it's just it feels good and it's like i don't feel guilty for for talking and telling you all this stuff and um speaking freely you know and um i'm always somebody who's open to being corrected yeah, but I'm also I. someone who's like finally taking more power into saying like, no, no, I, I have an opinion about that or I have a stance on that or I have a sense about that and I'm not going to back down from certain standards and values, you know. Um, yeah. And one of them has just been to like value my own voice, you know, value my experiences. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of being alive? and i'm always open to learning and growing but um to share those things has been it's a it's a gift and a pleasure and something that i would like to do more great well Mm -hmm. thank you again so much i had a great time thanks cody good luck with the rest of the podcast yeah i'm excited to it's uh, gonna be cool um to hear yeah if you made it two and a half hours into this then kudos to you (laughs) whoever's still listening like you know sorry no i'm just kidding um tell the people something to do what what should they do right now um the two things that come to mind are bless your water like i said and um give thanks to the sun for growing your food it's a good lesson to leave on all right bless your water bless your food bless the sun yeah bless life meditate yeah yeah i mean you know like you're you're a magical creature (laughs) No matter what's going on, your body is still yep. performing miracles every day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.